Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, May 8th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say, Meow, Mr. Bob Ryer, Meow, and Stephanie Cook. Meow. Lots of meows. We have a little meow treat for you guys later, later in the show. Uh... But starting off, um, of course, today we're going to be talking about a little movie called Iron Man 3. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, Open very big this week. We'll get to that later. Uh, but first, this Saturday, uh, past Saturday was Free Comic Book Day. We did a show, obviously, with Jamal Eigel and Jeremy Whitley about their Molly Danger Princeless uh, tandem. But I wondered, Steve, how was your Free Comic Book Day? My Free Comic Book Day was lots of fun. Uh, I hung out at Tour Comics for pretty much the whole day. Got to help out around the shop. Met lots of people, talked a lot of comics, found a couple of little treats. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. DC's 52. I walked away with the entire... I had 1 through 15, so 16 to 52 I walked away with that day. Oh, okay. For like dollars. That's great. Because they're awesome. Yeah. And there were crazy sales going on. There were crazy sales. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy sales. <laughs> So it was super fun. I uh, got to hang out with my friends and mm. just uh, Lauren, colleagues, you know, friend of the show, she brought in Spider-Man cupcakes. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> yes. They were delicious. Yeah. Um, a couple of characters walking into the shop. Uh, I met this guy uh, commonly referred to as Cowboy Hat. Cowboy okay. Hat <laughs> is the guy who basically likes to search for the you know, big comics on Ebays. Uh, so he came in with his list and everything that he read off of the list was one of those like key books. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't find many because we're aware of all that stuff. Yeah. We know who you are. <laughs> so, uh, no, my com- it was awesome. It was a, I really wish that it was more than once a year because everybody was in a good mood. There were tons and tons of kids coming inside the That's shop, uh, which is great. You know, lots of books to, to be had for them. Tons of, uh, all ages kid stuff this year. Yeah. Uh, not very many other books. I mean, there was a few, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it was really cool. There was this one girl, she was nine years old, and the father wanted to pick up something for her, but wasn't quite sure of what to get, so I gave him Molly Danger, and he's like, oh, what's this about? And I said, it's a 10-year-old superhero. Mm-hmm. It was a girl, and he's like, oh, sold. <laughs> so, you know, that was what we were talking about last week. That was the kind of thing or the reaction that they're hoping for. Yeah. And I got to see it firsthand, which was really cool. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Bob, I know you worked on Saturday. Did yep. you get any chance to go into any, uh, shop? Yeah, I was in tour oh, yeah. for about 20 minutes yeah. trying to get my Molly Danger uh-huh. Princeless. And it was the last book in the box, of course. So <laughs> I barely made it to work. Right. But I did see families with little ones. And that was just really lovely to see. And uh, what did you did you read the Molly Danger yeah, Princess? Loved it. We, it was a good. Yeah, I'd read it before. So oh, okay. Yeah. 
All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be quiet. Uh, well, my free comic book day was mostly spent going to see Iron Man 3, and then I stopped by the shop afterwards and uh, picked up a couple of books. Um, you know, obviously the Marvel Infinity book, uh, which was kind of the big not-all-ages book that was that mm-hmm. was on the stands. And uh, a couple, I picked up the Mouse Guard uh, mm-hmm. Rust flip book that also had a little cowboy thing there stuck in the middle, uh, which was which was very good. And, and a couple of the, the uh, Stuff of Legend uh, free book as well. Yeah, I grabbed that one too. Yeah, uh, I haven't got a chance to peruse it yet, but it's cool. Even when I, di- I didn't get into the shop until probably four after four o'clock, and still then it was busier than it usually is. And, you know, it was as busy as a Wednesday you know, oh, it was crazy early from afternoon, ten o'clock in the morning until yeah. until I left. It was it was really it was great. Yeah, it was it, it was cool, and I ended up picking up, got those free books. Um, thanks to really well, a twofold thing. Oh, one, wait, I got more stuff. Okay, Go we'll on. get back to you. Getting uh, a friend of mine recently gave me a bunch of books, and one of the things in there was Winter Soldier one through fourteen, which is all the Brubaker stuff. But the uh, Jason Latour, Nick Klein stuff wasn't in there, so I picked up a couple of those issues at Tor, and also. Uh, just to see how it was, the starter set for the Alan Heinberg Wonder Woman, oh. uh, one through seven. And I think I got that. I got the two issues of Winter Soldier, and with the, and that Wonder Woman starter set for like eight dollars total with all the deals that were going on. So it was a pretty good, it's a pretty good free comic book day. Uh, Stephanie, uh, you were not in your your town for a free comic book day. What were you doing on that Saturday? I was learning how to scuba dive. Wow. <laughs> yep. So basically, get a life, Stephanie. Come on. I know. I know. I was pretending to be a mermaid. Okay, of course. Um, a cat and... mermaid, probably. No, just like a mermaid, a regular okay. mermaid, mm-hmm. like the little mermaid mermaid. Mm-hmm. I sang a little bit under the water. Okay. <laughs> How did that great. work out? Yeah. Well, my instructor just kind of was like, we had some like problem people in my class. They were troublemakers. <laughs> they just couldn't get the shit down. Oh. So I was just like, bitches, let me show you how it's done. And he was like, do you want to just go swim and, like, practice? I was like, hell yeah, I do. So basically just, like, did dolphin kick and pretended to be a mermaid under the water and hummed part of your world. Wow. That was my Saturday. Nice. That, that's, that's also, that's what happened. Yeah. Now, if you could have read comics underwater. Yeah. I know. I would have been in, like, heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about mermaid today. Mermaid comics. But in Aquaman 20, I guess, was the... In Aquaman 19, which came out this past week, there's definitely a very, like, Little Mermaid-ish moment where they go into this guy's cave. Yes, I read it. Right? And I was like, um, hey there, look at my stuff. Isn't it neat? Exactly. exactly <laughs> what I, I love it. They come up into this cave and, like, oh, what is all this stuff? Oh, he's been he taking... He's going to the surface. Yeah. And <laughs> taking, you know, surface items and stuff like that. It was, it was very Ariel's cave from... Uh, if they Little were Mermaid. like, what's this thingamabob? I would have died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frame this on my wall. Um, Along with my cat-tastic four prints. <laughs> Uh, which is Fantastic Four as cats, in case people yeah, at home... Yeah, like Mike hack. There you go. Really, everyone should own it. It's great. They also have Cat Avengers. Okay. It's awesome. <laughs> Steve, you said you have some things to add. Um, uh, <laughs> Glory and colleagues, again, friend mm-hmm. of the show, went to Fourth World Comics later that day and picked up for me uh, Lock and Key, one of the volumes that I was missing. Oh, I think cool. it was f- number five nice and a Tyrion uh Funko Pop figure oh awesome and the remaining two issues of 52 that I needed I just wanted to give her credit for that because I know that she listens to every show nice and I didn't want to slight her nice nice <laughs> um yay oh and on Sunday actually uh my girlfriend and I went to brunch uh in Sayville 
uh, this town in Long Island. It was very nice. We had mimosas and, and stuff. And then we're just walking around Sable, and we stopped by uh, this the comic shop in Sable. Amazing comics. Amazing comics. Very, very nice guy. Uh, really well-kept store mm-hmm. as well. You know, I was asking about back issues, and he does something interesting. He doesn't put anything in the boxes for a year. So everything stays on the shelf. You know, basically, there's like a... Sl- there's like a if you want... I want Winter Soldier. He's like, the Winter Soldier are right there. So whatever he has, one... You know, what you know three through 18 or whatever it is, six through 18 would be there on the, like in, in, in one of like, like a book rack almost. Mm-hmm. It looks like, you know, it does that for everything. Uh, it doesn't have a ton of stuff like of those back issues, but it was just a very well put together store. Cool. I'm very aware of his inventory. You know, I asked him for a couple back issues and he was like, Oh, I don't have those. Don't even worry about looking for them. So, uh, very, very nice. Yeah, he's been around a very long time. Yeah. It's an, it's funny the the, the, the sign it says amazing comics. We sell Marvel comics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a very very old sign. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was a, it was a good weekend overall, comic book wise. Uh, and um, also, I did. I ended up buying something yesterday. Well, I shouldn't say I bought something. I helped kickstart something yesterday. Uh, Greg Rucka, who was on the show previously, ah. uh, he started his Lady uh, Saber. Uh, a Kickstarter campaign, and he's already more than doubled the amount he was asking for. Oh, seriously? Yeah, that's but, awesome. Yeah, but thirty dollars, thirty dollar donation gets you uh, a bunch of stuff, like digital stuff and some stickers and stuff. But it also, uh, one of the stretch goals too that was already hit. You're getting like these, uh, like these dolls, like these paper dolls based on wow. the uh, the characters uh, in, in the in the in the strip. And for that thirty dollars, you get the book. You get the hardcover, uh, really, really beautiful looking book. It's in widescreen too. Yeah, it's a wi- It's it's wide. Seriously? Book. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so you live in Canada, and then shipping stupid. Yeah. Add twenty dollars to whatever your woof thing is for shipping. Yeah. Don't think I don't live in Canada. Uh, Buy that shit. <laughs> you um, could have it sent to me, and I could bring it over. <laughs> oh my god i'm there once a month you yeah. might as well yeah uh never come visit me <laughs> not now he uh it's really cool and it, what they did which is very interesting he broke down all of the costs that went into the you know yeah, that was this, interesting this is how much yep. the print run costs is how much the shipping is this is how much for this 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 all quick kickstarter gets so it just shows you you know the amount of money they're asking for was pretty was pretty much exactly what they needed to. Yeah, I think it was five hundred bucks off. Or yeah, whatever, whatever it was. Um, and they have some cool goals too. I mean, there's the highest one, which I think is a couple thousand bucks. Like uh, Greg and um, got it, Rick Bur- Burchett, I guess is the mm-hmm. our same. Will come to your local store and sign uh, for a day. So it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, there's the Jonathan Colton, Greg Pack Kickstarter, Code Monkey Save the World. It's been going on for a while. I think it's like seven days left. And they've obliterated their goal. Basically, it's Greg's writing a book based off Jonathan Colton's songs. Jonathan Colton is a very popular, you know, internet uh, sensation of a musician. Uh, he wrote uh, Still Alive, which is the closing song for Portal. Uh, uh, Regarding Your Brains and Skullcrusher Mountain, all these really kind of geeky songs uh, that are really awesome. And they're basing a book off of his songs he's writing new songs for it it's a really cool thing their video is really neat and uh amy reader and brandon montclair just started a kickstarter today i saw that yeah uh rocket girl is, is what it's called uh so obviously they did halloween eve mm-hmm. uh before which bob was a very big fan of oh yeah and you actually donated to correct 
No. Oh, you didn't? I, I, bought, I, did. no, I bought a couple. Oh, you donated Steve to did. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sarah, Sarah did. So okay. I met them at that point. Oh, right. That's, she oh, was that's also right. at New York Comic Con where she was signing books and yep. you know promoting and stuff. That's right. Very, very cool people. I knew one of us donated to it. So yeah. uh, those are three pretty cool Kickstars that are happening right now. Uh, we'll throw links to up to them in, in the, the show notes so if anyone wants to check them out, uh, they can check them out. But the Lady Sabre isn't the first Kickstarter I've ever backed. So Really? Yeah. Well, well. So I'm in now. Kickstarter cherry has been popped. Yeah, it has. <laughs> Hope it was gentle. It was. It was very easy. <laughs> Just sign up. You check out through Amazon. And, you know, they it's, they make it very easy to take your money. Yes, they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, once it goes through Amazon, I do feel better. Yeah. Sort of yeah. like okay, yeah, it's yeah, there's covered also, now. There's like this thirty dollar like nebulous charge is waiting to be like you know. Well, now comes the wait. Yeah. Because you'll forget entirely <laughs> which package you chose, mm-hmm. and then by the time it actually arrives, you'll be like, oh my god, that's so cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah, exciting stuff going on Kickstarter. Uh, I was perusing there, and there was some pretty interesting stuff up there, just not even from kind of these bigger names. My ex-girlfriend now has a Kickstarter that I saw this morning. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. She's trying to build a like a geodesic dome in Alaska. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Paulie Shore is going to be there? Or what? <laughs> what? Paulie Paul Shore is going to be there? I don't know. She's pretty smart, though. Weasel. It's very cool. <laughs> I, might, uh, I might help. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, cool. So let's uh, move on from that stuff. Let's move on to uh, some new stuff. Uh, first off, we got sales figures uh, for the month of April. Um, Batman, once again, on top at number one at 132000 Of course, these are estimated sales, only Diamond Direct stuff. Uh, newsstand stuff, bookstore stuff, digital stuff is not included here. Um, but this is a pretty good gauge of how much mm-hmm. this stuff is selling. Uh, Thanos Rising was at number two, uh, 114,000. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy, no, uh, number three, uh, 105,000. Uh, uh, they, they were saying it was probably the first creator-owned book to be that high up on the charts it's in, it, since 1999 or something like that. Uh, so That's impressive, pretty really? big, yeah. Uh, it's power of a creative team right there. Um, uh, number four, Age of Ultron coming in at um 101,000. Uh, number five, Justice League coming in at 100,000. Age of Ultron, both five and six, about 97,000. Uh, Walking Dead, number 109 at 90,000. And that's like a 30,000 unit jump from l- last month. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, maybe because... End of the season or something? End of the season, New maybe. characters I don't, were introduced yeah. last issue, that kind yeah. of thing. It, kind of, it was kind of dealing with things where people might have dropped off. It was kind of addressing mm-hmm. things that were missing. So gotcha. Probably word of mouth. Like everything. A lot of people to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Batman and Red Robin, uh, number 19, was at uh, 89,000. And Guardians of the Galaxy, number two, at 88 thousand uh that's hanging in pretty well yeah i mean i feel like that book stays around when it's finished appreciating 60 70,000 that's a big win uh for marvel comics uh this you know outside the top 10 really quick both issues of superior spider-man that came out were around the 87,000 85,000 mark um all new x-men 84,000 Uncanny Avengers, 80,000. Both issues of Uncanny X-Men were around 80. Uh, Avengers at 78. Detective at 77. Uncanny Avengers at 77 as well. Um, I, w- I was looking through this. I-, I think it was eight of the top 20 books were written by Brian Michael Bendis, <laughs> which is which is a pretty crazy uh, number. Um, I look at this list and I'm 
I was, I guess, Mr. Mainstream. <laughs> and I don't have anything in the top ten. I have nothing until you get to Hickman's Avengers. Well, I have completely dropped off the charts. <laughs> you have, <laughs> yeah. So until number seventeen, Bob's not on, yeah. Bob's not on the on the charts here. Uh, I'm a rebel. <laughs> Dottie, what'd you say? Dottie, I'm a rebel, Dottie. Yes, Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee. Oh, big, yeah. okay. Pee Wee's big adventure. Gotcha. And every time anyone says that, it's like mandatory for me to say Dottie. Of course, it's the thing. Um, it's perfect. <laughs> judge me. <laughs> Uh, Saga, of course, big fifty-three thousand. Um, saying they're very. Now, was very that big. the number twelve issue that wouldn't get sold? Yes, yeah, okay. uh, via yeah via uh, Comicsology. Up, up a little bit physically. Uh, because of I that, maybe? think it's a, a little bit bigger, but that seems to be the the general numbers for okay. for that book. Um, and then you know we just I'm not gonna go through all of them, but you know again, uh, Brian Wood Star Wars is doing very very well. It came in at number forty, but it's at forty-five thousand. Um, you know, it's outselling Iron Man, <laughs> you know, the mainline Iron yeah. Man book. So that's uh, it's a really big thing for them. East of West uh, depreciated a little bit, but held pretty strong. Uh, 41,000 units in its second month of sales. Um, Daredevil at 39,000 is actually up over the last couple of months. It's been steadily going up, which is interesting. Uh, Hawkeye is right there too, around 39,000 uh, as well. So interesting, interesting month. Uh, again, uh, you know, uh, the top 300 comics sold. 6.79 million copies, which is 11% up from last year uh, and 13% up from 10 years ago. Um, all comics sold by Diamond are up by 11.71% this this versus the same month the previous year. Uh, uh, the the three the 300 uh, this is so funny when you think about this compared to what Iron Man three made in one weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the comic books in a month combined made 24.28 million dollars. Um, and for the year, I've made ninety nine point four eight uh, million. Um, and again, the trades—it's funny because uh, once again, number one is the first volume of Walking Dead. That's incredible. Which I saw its total um, its total life to date sales is something in like the three hundred thousands or something like that, which is a pretty pretty crazy number. Um, it's understandable because at that point in time, it was still good. <laughs> All right, snarky. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm giving Kirkman props. Oh, yeah, it's like a you're like you're complimenting him and then also insulting him at the same time. Yeah, well, you did win some, you lose some. <laughs> uh, Manhattan Projects Volume Two was the number two. Uh, it's the the top five is dominated by Image for the top five slots. Uh, Walking Dead, Manhattan Projects, Happy Saga, and then Punk Rock Jesus is at number five. And Wait, then we Punk Rock Jesus isn't. Image, that's Vertigo. I said four out of the five. Oh, I said five. Oh, she's not listening. Why don't you listen, Stephanie? (laughs) Well, you know what? I still owe you some for missing me on the podcast. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was like two months ago. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe these other companies should start to get a gander at what Image does. Yeah, the low the low price low trade. price and immediately available. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, interesting here, number twenty one on the charts. And I haven't compared this to last month or the month before, but Iron Man Extremis was the number twenty one graphic novel, uh, coming in at twenty five hundred uh, units mm-hmm. sold. And I'm pretty sure it was out of print until a couple of months ago. So uh, definitely the power of the movie right there, and them doing a good job of publicizing what that book mm-hmm. that movie was you know based on um so those are the sales numbers i mean it, 
the the biggest, the most notable thing is that there are two image titles in the top ten, which is pretty impressive considering what's going on here. Um, IDW once again had a, a a rather large market share. I think again their biggest uh, they've ever had. So they're the, a solid in, fourth now. They are a solid fourth now. Yeah, I mean, image is just below ten percent of the market, so they're doing very very well. And uh, you know, Marvel is handily beating. DC in dollars and unit share, but again, Marvel puts out more books a month at a more expensive rate. So I don't, I haven't broken down those numbers enough to know they're probably a lot closer than they look because Marvel's probably putting out almost double the amount of books that DC puts out in, in a month. Quantity over quality. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah, I, w- I would argue that. <laughs> but okay, uh, they definitely put out a large quantity uh, of of their books. Uh, so those are the sales numbers. Uh, moving on to so, some movie news. Um, kind of a lot of hay was made this week as the rumor popped up that Michael B. Jordan, who was uh, in HBO's The Wire and uh, Friday Night Lights and most recently and probably most notably to comic book fans in the Josh Trank uh, Chronicle film, the superhero found footage movie. Uh, obviously, he is a African-American actor, so that has caused... Uh, flare-ups on both ends about different things. Um, Bob, you're the Fantastic Four guy. Mm-hmm. You've been reading it forever. Uh, you know, What do you think of the idea, A, of having this actor play this part, and B, uh, how important is the race of the character to Johnny Storm? First of all, let me just throw out my you know child of the 60s liberal credentials right. here. I am certainly about as left-wing as it is possible without flying off the edges of the earth. My draft card is still sitting at home in my drawer because mm. I almost got drafted and I was going to Canada. Mm. I, I could have met you Yay. guys in Canada all those years ago. <laughs> awesome. Um, there's such a thing as fidelity to the source material. It, he's a fine actor. I've seen him in those things we're talking about here. It has been established over more than 50 years that this is a Caucasian character with a Caucasian sister and parents and everything else. And it's just very gimmicky to me and it if the ethnicity has been stated for all these years and it sort of worked when they did Alicia with Kerry Washington except right away that invalidated a story where her stepfather actually had her pretend to be Sue Mm. so we're losing that not to equate the two characters but wouldn't people get in an uproar if they cast Jackie Chan to play Lincoln well Lincoln was a real person so that's that's a different story. Lincoln was an actual white man. Okay, Jackie Chan playing Mike Hammer. I mean, I, no. Here's here's my thing. There is nothing as of all the Fantastic Four stuff I've read. There's nothing intrinsically white about Johnny Storm except the fact that he is white in, in this source material. If you substituted out, you know, if you made Sue African American and you made their parents black, uh, I don't see the difference. Uh, I I think that. The movies have a unique opportunity to. I, I don't think Johnny Storm. I don't think Johnny Storm should be changed to be black in in the Fantastic Four comics. He's a comic book character who's a white character, and we're still in a, a same continuity we've been in since 1960, whatever, when the character was created. But and I think I, Rick Manor has spoken about this, and some of their Marvel people have talked about this too. Whereas they are kind of trapped by the fact that these characters were created by white people, you know, all white people in the 60s, you know, so they try to include more ethnically diverse characters in in their books. I feel like the movies have a unique ability to, as long as they stay true to the spirit of who the character is, 
for me personally, I think it's just fine that they changed the race. You know, because to me, you can have the same dynamics, you can have the same relationships, you can have the same storylines, except now he's just black. And I think that reflects better the society we live in today. And I, for me, it doesn't bother me. Now, again, I haven't been reading Fantastic Four for 50 years, so I don't have that same connection. Right. But he adopted. It, it, I mean, they could do that. But for me, personally, I think that's... If they're going to go for it, they should go all the way for it and make Sue black, too. Because I, I think if you do that, then you then you, I feel like you're just you're just doing it to do it, you know, instead of, instead of committing to the fact that you're going to create this now, I, I guess more, you know, reflective of society team. Uh, if you just make them adopted, which is again, is a reflective of a thing that happens probably more now than it happened previously. But I still think that it, if you can do it, you go all the way. That's my opinion about it. Anyway, first of all, I think I just love him as an actor. So I, I, I think it's pretty cool, but Steve, what do you think? I like his name. Michael, Michael B. Jordan. B. Jordan. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what do I think of it? I think it's weird. I really do. I think it's really, I think it's bizarre. Um, but that being said, I really liked him a lot in Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's a very, it's a strange thing because if you change, if you change, the, you're changing the color of his skin. That's essentially all, all you're changing, hopefully. Yeah. We haven't seen the movie yet. Right. <laughs> but. If you change that, that means that you have to change Sue. If you have, if you change Sue, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think if you're gonna, you're gonna do the source material, that you maybe need to stick to the source material. I, I hear like a lot of what you're saying. I understand the position that you're taking in it, but I just, I don't know. It just, it seems like a very bizarre. Also, it's rumors. It's nothing's been. Oh, oh yeah, this stuff. is absolutely rumors. This is but, not written in stone. And, and by the same token, if that's a rumor, then the other casting choice, I'm confused now, is also a rumor that the girl from Girls, Allison mm-hmm. Williams. 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 She, not that IMDb is any kind of like ironclad anything no, it's the opposite of iron Clay. right but they've got <laughs> they've got her listed on the site as confirmed as sue which probably means nothing yeah but if they're talking about her being the the contender or a contender for sue storm which means that they're going with a caucasian girl and then they're talking about michael b jordan awesome name doing the role of johnny storm it just it there's something's not adding up about it and well i mean if they do that then it's going to be some sort of like surrogate adopted uh, family. See that I don't. Most that I don't. I don't like because the and not to say that you can't have that within that kind of family. You certainly can, but I to me that's removing too much of the core of what that book and what that family is. It's changing that family dynamic. It's making it more adaptable to today, where if it's a comic book film, it shouldn't matter. It should be what it's always been. Um, see, I, and this is going to be this. I feel like is going to be a repeated theme in our discussions today as we move on to our Iron Man review. But I don't want to get into it too much now. I want to ask Stephanie what she thinks of this. It's Modern Family, the superhero movie. <laughs> um, it seems a bit weird for them to do a character that is so like. I, I'm not against having the character's race change. That's not the issue. But like. You know, if they're doing a series of movies, by changing Johnny, you're changing Sue. And then by changing Sue, you're changing Reed's relationship and the fact that they're going to have, you know, half black children. And 
But why does I, that why does that change no, their relationship? It's not an issue. Like it's not an issue, but you're changing a whole whack of characters. Whereas if you were to just like if they want to make a character black, why not do change a character like Ben? But like, what? But but see that this is this is why th- that does, that argument doesn't hold weight to me because yeah he's orange when most of the movie but you know that to me would be even more egregious because it's like yeah well, he's black that just just to appease people you know or like Reed even like I I don't understand why it has to be Johnny specifically maybe they just thought he would be good for the role and they. That's probably exactly what they thought. Yes. Coming from? Yeah. I don't know. But. Eh. We all know yeah. that every time I talk about the T- Fantastic Four, the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Let's, keep, let's keep it on. Let's so, keep it on the, um, the, uh... I don't know. I don't really have much to say about it. I think Bob's, you know, argument holds the most weights here since he's the biggest sort of fan of the series and long time running. So, you know, Bob. Look, Bob, here we go. He said, St- Stan. Really early on, you know, we're talking four years into this run, introduced comics, first African-American super, first African superhero, and an entire race of technically advanced, socially advanced, before there were the pyramids, there were the Wakandans, and to sort of paint this book with, you know, they're the rednecks of the Marvel Universe, so we have to change something, kind of, just strikes me as disingenuous. Well, no, I, I'm not. Well, people who are defending my position are catching some flack on the internet for being racist. Well, so uh, if I if I overstated that, I apologize. You know, I don't think I, there's no part of me that thinks Stan Lee is any sort of has any sort of racism about him because yeah. of the way that he has conducted his life and and conducted a lot of his creative life as well. You know, I don't think it's racism at all. I, I just think, you know, I, I, I would I'd be curious to see what Stan Lee w- w- would would think of something like this. Because it's just to me, it's from reading all of Johnny, all anything with Johnny Storm, and then also my opinion about films in general, which is if Michael B. Jordan auditioned and gave the best audition and would be the best Johnny Storm, then I don't care that he's black or if he's white or if he's Spanish or if you know it, it wouldn't matter to me. Um, I, I think I think the idea. Now again, I'm speaking out of the best possible end scenario you know I, I and i'm i'm giving benefit of the doubt to the people who are casting and to the creative people who are behind whatever's going on you know uh if michael b jordan is the best person in the role that's who i want to see in the role and i think the idea that being an adopted brother makes him less of a brother or that that family dynamic isn't as strong i think that little bit misses the point of the fantastic four because you know johnny yes johnny and sue are related but they're a family even beyond relation, you know, you know, read Mary Sue. Yes. And so they become family by bond, but Ben isn't anybody's brother or sister. And he's just as much Reed's family as Johnny is Sue's family, you know? And, and so I, I think that while Bob, I do not think that people saying the character was written as a Caucasian and should remain a Caucasian. I don't think that's racist. You know, that's not a racist thing to say. That's people protecting something they hold dear for infidelity of source material. And I understand that point. Uh, for me, though, um, my point is just that and when it comes to the movies, all I want to see is things which retain spirit, and then I don't really care about the detail stuff. That's just me. Um, 
after having two movies that didn't do any of the details right, I want one with the details right. I mean, well, those movies are just bad movies. You right. know, I want to see a good movie. If the movie's bad, I don't think it would be because of Michael B. Jordan or mm-hmm. the, the, whoever the, the race the actor playing Johnny is. I think it would be because the script sucks, and, you know, or the direction is horrible. You know what I mean? Um, but that's just my opinion. Well, I think we can fix the problem with the X-Men movie. We need Kate Blanchett to play Storm, and then we can fix everything. <laughs> We get the best actress we can. Yeah, well, she, I don't think she wants to play Storm. Let's be fair. That's too bad. <laughs> uh, you are now signed on for that, Kate Blank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were playing Storm. Just get Bob your. Aside your contract deal with yeah. it. Get your mohawk ready. Um, <laughs> so, uh, really quick, I'm just going to skip forward on one of my new stories here because this is really quick. Marvel confirmed that Ghost Rider, Punisher, and Blade are now back in the Marvel fold fully. They have all the rights to them. Did not say there's any plans to make. Any movies with them right now, but they're there and they can be used. Awesome. <clears throat> so you do have a, you know, with Punisher, Blade, and uh, Daredevil all back, you have a, a lot of New York, you yeah. know, uh, Marvel in place, or a lot of street level New York. A lot of dark side, too. Yeah, so. If they can make a Ghost Rider movie that doesn't make me piss my pants <laughs> with laughter, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, I mean, Ghost like Rider, I think, is the least. drunk tweet. What'd you say? Sorry? I remember like your drunk tweet. the best movie to oh, drunk tweet. I remember yeah. that. Um, I, I would like to see a movie that has the Punisher and Daredevil in the same movie. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty damn cool. But, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Again, this adds to that coffer of stuff. It's just cool they have these characters back and can use them if a storyline they're going for calls for it. Um, yeah, and Kevin Feige was chatting up Doctor Strange today. Yeah, too. he said it's next. He said it's the next thing, probably after Ant-Man, you'll see Doctor Strange. Saw the clip of that finally. Boy, that looks good. Oh, the, Ant-Man. oh, Ant-Man? Oh, I, I, didn't, still, I still haven't seen, seen it. it. Yeah. yeah. Very cybernetic looking, but yeah. it's, it's, it's the helmet with the, yeah. with the, thing, you know, the sort of microphone in front and mm-hmm. lots of action-y stuff. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to see that. They said they're going to release that soon, like all done up and finished and everything. So excited for that. Um, Superman Unchained is right around the corner, and they announced a bunch of really beautiful uh, variant covers by some very big artists. Uh, Bruce Timm, Dave Johnson, Neil Adams, Jerry Ordway, Dan Durgens, and Brett Booth doing different interpretations of the Man of Steel. If you look at the um, Bruce Timm one, it's very Bruce Timmy, you know, obviously. Well, he's also doing the Fleischer cartoons. Yeah. Those, those robots are from right in those early 1940s pieces. Yes, and the kind of way that the body is, isn't, you know, a Superman Adventures mm-hmm. uh, animated series look. It's more elongated a little sillier look to it, but still very, very beautiful and cool to look at. And then the rest of them are very interesting because the rest of them are, are from different eras of Superman. Uh, you know, there's a golden age, silver age, um, modern age, Superman, uh, reborn, and then new 52. Um, the Neil Adams one is, is quite gorgeous. He's channeling his kryptonite no more, which is a famous issue of action. What I found interesting, when I, I read his comments about wanting to do just that, that in those, covers to me the three people who defined what superman looked like over those years right are not represented right <laughs> there isn't a kurt swan yeah. looking superman and he was the superman artist for mm. people who grew up when i did yeah the guy before him wayne boring mm. not there mm. and burn oh yeah they didn't ask him to say hey why don't you throw a superman doesn't cover he hate, doesn't he hate them I think he would have done a 75th anniversary <laughs> Superman, or they could have pulled one from the archives. But it was just sort of, okay. I mean, seeing Ordway's Jurgens great pieces. Yeah. 
There are some beautiful covers there. I mean, the Jim Lee cover is also very nice. Uh, might actually be the weakest of the bunch. And it, it might is, be. It is gorgeous. Yeah, it's interesting. You know what? The thing about the Jim Lee cover that I don't like so much is I don't like the, like the I guess it's probably the chains that are coming off of him, but it looks too cyber techie you know i, I like yeah, the okay. more kind of all by himself statuesque look but they're all very very nice covers I like the bruce tim one please yeah the bruce yeah, tim one too. is really quite beautiful i was a little disappointed <laughs> i was gonna say i was a little disappointed the free comic book day superman they promised a preview yeah and there wasn't really anything it there was wasn't a, anything it was a it was a page mm-hmm. it was a written page Okay. It was like written details, maybe like a piece of the script or something like that. But uh, there okay. was no like four pages of the. I was so looking forward to opening that up and being like, "Oh, cool!" <laughs> and I like flipped through it three times, and I'm like, "Where'd it go?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've been. I mean, the thing they've been talking about the most is that, like that fold out four page long mm-hmm. fold out. That's one panel of oh. Superman fighting. You know, I, I, it's apparently pretty astounding to look at. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, it seems like, you know, obviously, Bob, they're missing those people, and that's that's a shame I didn't even think of that. Uh, they are hitting some of the big kind of milestone looks of the character. Uh, the Jerry Ordway one is the one that I, I would want the most. Yeah. Um, but That's the, one, the whole supporting cast. Yeah. yeah, very, very, very cool stuff. Um, uh, Kieran Gillen, who obviously writes Iron Man, writes Young Avengers, uh, his book Uber, uh, number zero, came out last month and sold out almost immediately because it was a very limited run. Shops didn't really order it. And the, apparently the orders have been upped on that number zero and thusly been upped on number one. And number one is already sold out from Diamond uh, and heading to a reprint already. And the book hasn't even hit the shelves. It comes out uh, today, actually. Hot damn. So if you, it's a book you're interested in, I'd say g- get to your shop and get it. Don't wait on it. Um, the zero issue was very interesting and, and cool. Um, art wasn't my favorite thing in the world, but the writing is really, really solid. So... Check it out, and if it's something you're interested in, definitely pick it up because it will go very, very quickly. I like just enjoy cakes. Bleeding Cool's URL for this, where it's like Nazis are hot this year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the I guess Avatar Press, who uh, publishes uh, Uber, also owns Bleeding Cool, and they uh-huh. he wrote it in the in the post, but just you know, so take it as for what you will. For full disclosure, for full yeah. disclosure, take it what you will. Uh, fun little bit of news here. Uh, it's very rumor, 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 but David Tennant, uh, there's a rumor there that he might be tapped to voice Rocket Raccoon in the, um, in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Obviously, David Tennant is the doctor, the, uh, the, the 10th doctor? The 10th yeah, doctor. The 10th, the 10th doctor. doctor uh, and a lot of people's favorite doctor. Um, they talked to him about it, or they're talking about superhero movies in general, and he said, you know, I'm pretty much too old probably to do most of them. He said, I could probably still do Mr. Fantastic. That's probably the one left that, would work. that I could do. So what would you, th- we'll talk about this, but what do you think about David Tennant and Mr. Yeah, Fantastic? he's got the, the studious look about him. Yeah, he's, he, he looks very, like he's, he's very spindly. <laughs> he's very spindly. He could, I think he could definitely handle all the techno babble. Yeah, absolutely. Which is very important. We yes. start talking about unstable molecules and negative zones and things. You're going to have to be right there with it. That's true. He did, he does have that kind of stuff down. Um, Stephanie, what would you think about him playing Mr. Fantastic? And what would you think about the more, if little, only a slightly likely thing that he voices Rocket Raccoon? Yes, please, David Tennant. All rules now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Really? I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. He's going to be in Curtis Weeb's uh, Peter Panzerfoss motion comic. He's playing Captain Hook, right? Uh, I mean, no, that's, um, oh my God. 
He's playing someone, isn't he? No, Captain Hook is... Why am I blanking on his name? The dude from Sons of Anarchy and Hellboy. Ron Perlman. Oh, Ron oh my... Perlman. Yeah, thank you. Holy well, he's in, crap. He's in that somewhere. So, I mean, <laughs> that he's was already, terrible. <laughs> he's already, you know, got his feet in the comic book doorway, so why not? Holy shit. <laughs> I'm losing it. He will be, like, mobbed at Comic-Cons. Oh, David Tennant oh. Is, is, is Peter. <laughs> oh. Well, whatever. Peter Hook. <laughs> Same shit, different pile. Absolutely. I thought Elijah Wood was Peter. No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this thing right here, but uh, this is just what I saw. It's a David Tennant is Peter. Huh. Yeah. All right. I'm okay um, with that. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's in it. That's what's important. I mean, I, it, might, it might be wrong, but I'm just, I'm looking at it right now. No, it's all good. Um, Either or. So... Uh, Moving on. Oh, speaking of Curtis Weeb, uh, he announced his book that he's been teasing called Rat Queens. Uh, a great title. Yeah. <laughs> it looks, you know, twisted fairy tale is, is what it looks like. Nice. Um, not, not too much to say about it right now, but he's a friend of the show, and I figured that we should mention it. And finally, and this is going to be our topic as well, but we'll t- Iron Man uh, 3 opened to $174 million dollars. Uh, for its opening weekend, it's the second biggest opening weekend of all time behind the Avengers. Um, it's uh, already over, I think, six hundred million dollars worldwide, heading towards a billion. Um, it's pretty crazy. It really does show the power uh, of Marvel and Disney but, and what they can do for movies. Yes, Stephanie. Um, as far as numbers go, it did beat um, a box office record. It beat. Um, it took the number one spot for international sales. It it did in its first weekend. It did do better than the Avengers in its yeah, first. So it, yeah, yeah. True story. It's already taken in more money domestically than Cap or Thor. It has. That's true. In a, in a week. Yeah, in a week. Yeah, it made eleven million dollars uh, this on Monday. So it's already you know in the one eighties, and I'm sure it'll have a big next weekend. Um, because only opening at Gatsby, and I don't think Gatsby's going to cut in a tremendous amount to its to its cut. Going to make billions. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I and then next week, obviously, we have Star Trek, which is going to is going to dethrone it. But uh, crazy amount of money, and I think it, you know the, Iron Man has been the biggest of the movies so far in in its history, but this is bigger than it's ever been, and I think it bodes well. Uh, for the other Marvel movies coming down the pipeline. It'll be interesting to see what Thor does ho- as a holiday movie, too. Yeah. I think it's a good idea, though. I think, I think it gets them out of the way of, you know, movies that maybe have slightly bigger name action movies that are more identifiable to a mass audience of people. I mean, not anymore, obviously, because Thor was in the Avengers, but I-, I think that an opening cap in April and Guardians in August, I think they're doing a smart thing, giving these movies the best chance to succeed, you know, mm-hmm. while still giving them primo spots in in their lineups um and uh downey they said at the at, at, when this is over will probably make close to 70 million dollars for everything because nice. of like the way his contract was structured and now his contract's up so who knows how much money he's gonna be yeah. getting when he does event if he does avengers 2 and apparently a bunch of the actors have kind of been like we you know some i think i think some of the actors got paid two hundred thousand dollars for avengers while downey made 50 million dollars for the Avengers, after all the back end stuff, so there's going to be some negotiating. Negotiating. <laughs> I think uh, Jack Nicholson is still cashing checks for Batman after yeah. all these years. So. Yeah. So Thor's check, he rips it up and throws it on the ground. I'll have another. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't okay. Sorry, I don't know if you said this. I cut out for just a brief second. Yeah. But Robert Downey Jr. actually was an investor in the movie. 
Yeah, I mean, he has back-end points. He, he, he does this thing where he takes less money up front to get more money on the back-end. Because he takes royalties because he puts yeah. up money for the film. Yeah. I that mean, should also be noted because he's not just being greedy. He actually helped the movie get funded. Yeah, no, I don't think he's being greedy at all. I mean, I honestly don't think we have this slate of Marvel movies if he's not Iron Man. You oh, know? absolutely right. So he deserves all the credit he's getting for all of this stuff, you know? Um, yeah, they took a leap of faith. Is, like in lieu of Robert Downey Jr., we have like Jimmy Fallon with like <laughs> ribbled on facial hair. I know he has facial hair, but like for some reason, it just pictured come to my head with it like scribbled on with marker. That was a very extreme opposite of Robert Downey yeah. Jr. <laughs> Jimmy Iron Fallon Man. looks perpetually like he's nine years old. He does. Okay. He does. He play Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> God, um, what were you saying, Bob? Oh, you know, Marvel took a leap of faith with Robert Downey, who yeah. was certainly a great actor, but was still just overcoming his troubles. He had just made a guess, yeah. kiss, kiss, bang, bang yeah. at that point. Yeah. And Downey took a, a leap with them. Oh, you're going to make a really good movie out of this yeah. comic book that I've never heard of, probably? Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's, yeah. let's, the pitch must have been great in both directions. Absolutely. Well, you know, you know, Kevin Feige and John Favreau really wanted him to play the role. And this is in this Esquire interview that, that Danny did, which was fantastic. And he, uh, the, the head of Paramount said, I won't work with him. Doesn't matter what the price. Doesn't matter what the time. And Danny ended up getting the part anyway. So that's pretty wow. impressive stuff. Yeah. Uh, and now we have what we have. Yeah. So, you know, we will, we'll see who comes to that. But we're going to talk a lot about Iron Man 3 uh, when we get to our topic. But right now... Let's move off movies and let's talk about our books of the week. Bob, why don't you start us out this week? Okay, I moved some stuff <laughs> around here. Uh, really quickly, I'm not even going to mention Miss Fury number two. Buffy nipple. Watch, shh, let's say things like Buffy. that. Um, uh, World's Finest is starting to drift a little bit for me. The art has changed and we're getting Kevin Maguire's contribution less and less story's still good but we're gonna have to see it's gotten posy all of a sudden mm. mm-hmm. so I'm not happy x-factor was great as usual one more to go in the hell on earth and it's all coming to a head oh good it that, is that you, means are I you caught up sorry i am i caught up yesterday actually so i have read stuff mm. <laughs> i'm interested to see where it's going because it's it's gone to a pretty dark place, in my opinion. Yeah, we can't say much because there are people no. here reading. But you know, what what are what are our favorite characters going to do? Who will be left standing? <laughs> what is our wacky group up to? Yeah, uh, Red She Hulk, which continues to surprise me every <laughs> month. It is. We we have now gotten to a point where the giant world computer that was created by Nikola Tesla is mm. behind Mount Rushmore. Okay. Yes. And it defends itself by using. Uh, bits and pieces of supervillains who had tried to break in and use it before. So it is now defended by Doctor Doom, Loki, Kang, uh, I'm sorry, Ultron and the Red Skull. Wow. And Betty Ross has to sort of defeat all of them to get where she's at. Kind of works, kind of doesn't. (laughs) And I'll just leave that at that. Um, That seems much more inventive than the first couple issues of the book were, or of of this change in brand. Or to Red Shield. We, we had to get to a certain point. You know, uh, Jeff Parker does those long-form sort mm-hmm. of things here, and that's where we've gotten here. We've really moved forward through this. It's a, it's sort of Thelma and Louise with Betty and mm-hmm. Aaron, Machine Man. Right. Uh, we're, we're, the Avengers have been involved. The, the She-Hulk is now on her tail. Mm. 
And it looks like we're heading for Man-Thing territory, the nexus of all realities for the next issue. So we had a listener, I don't remember who it was, I think it was on Twitter, ask, uh, the Red, is Red She-Hulk the flimsiest of origins of any, of any character? I don't even know how she got to be the Red okay, She-Hulk, because I had stopped reading the Hulk okay. at a certain <laughs> point. But you have to remember, every one now of the, the original Hulk supporting <laughs> cast is a Hulk. Right. Gamma radiated fruit punch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it must have been, but you because here, her, you know, her, her dad's red. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Jones, who we haven't seen in a long time, is blue. He's, what, Adam Bomb, or what, what does he call himself now? I forget. Oh, I don't remember. Giant either. Smurf. <laughs> I mean, he's the giant Smurf with armor and, like, things sticking out of his shoulder. It's, Angry and- Smurfs. <laughs> Very angry. You wouldn't like him when he's Smurf smurfy. smash. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll, he'll be back comic. somewhere. Yeah, we, we should have that. We Someone should. should do that. Maybe they should put that on one of those Scotty Young covers. That would be smurfing <laughs> awesome. Uh, Hawkeye 10 was really good, but I'm sure one of you guys are going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so many words. My number one book of the week is The Movement yeah. by Gail Simone, which uh, really, really enjoyed. We have a couple of characters we've seen before. Um, Catharsis, who is in Batgirl, and Tremor, who is in Secret Six. Um it, it's a it's an old fashioned sort of book in a way that it wasn't. Uh, the, the ads for it highlighted something else than what was going here. They were soliciting a very very political book for those posters, and this was going to be the Occupy Wall Street of superheroes. It really isn't. It's that old trope of you know corrupt cops and the cities falling apart, and here's a group of of many humans who've decided we're taking back our neighborhood. You guys haven't done a good job. We'll take care of it from now on. And as things start to go bad, there's a really hideous serial killer wandering about. Um, they've stepped in. Mm-hmm. And we're, I think we're going to get a lot of political stuff eventually. But we've introduced some nice characters here. There's some good action sequences. I'm already invested in some of these characters. I hope people will give this a try. There was a lot of hubbub about this book coming out and some right-wing uh, websites went crazy and went after Gale and so on and so forth. It isn't quite that book. It may get to be there. But for right now, I thought it was a heck of an introduction. You hit the ground running, certainly. Yeah, I, I wouldn't understand anyone having a problem with the message of the book. It doesn't, like, it doesn't seem nearly, like you're saying, as far out as it was being kind of proposed as. Well, they hadn't even read the book and went after it. Right. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. of course. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I, I like the book. And it's definitely a series I'm going to keep picking up. There was... The beginning, I, I, you know, I like it. I like the way the beginning was set up in a intellectual way because it's very cinematic. It's set up, you know, I could imagine a movie beginning the way the movement begins, you know? Like this, like, vignette, oh, we start out in this scene and what, what's going on? This stuff is happening. And then it skips around different scenes and kind of shows you as we're going along. Or even like a, like a, a pilot of a television show, you know? Uh, during that beginning, there was a... Li- uh, some of the visual storytelling I got a little confused with, and it took me a few pages to really get into the flow mm-hmm. of what was going on. Once I got into that flow, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. And the thing I love about it the most is just that I don't know who any of these people are, and I love that. You know, I I don't know who they are, and I, so all there is is discovery ahead of me. That's all, and. You know, Gail could kill one of them and, and, and mm-hmm. at any moment, yep. you know, and not that she will, but the, that sort of immediacy gives you that feeling, um, you know, of a, a, a great book, in a, in a, a great comic book, you know, there, it's not stuck in canon, it, I mean, it is obviously, but, and that really excites me, 
That really excites me to see a book of all new characters I get to learn about. Uh, Steve, you were nodding when I was talking about the movie thing. Yeah, um, it's funny. I read it the first time, and the first time I read it, I didn't feel anything for it. Like, mm-hmm. I literally, I read it, I was like, okay. <laughs> and I put it down, and that was that. I reread it again today, and for one reason or another, I got a very, very different take from it, and I got a very cinematic uh, feel from it. It was very... Like John Carpenter meets David Cronenberg, mm-hmm. kind of for mm. me with all the all like the the techno faces and yeah. all the things going on. I I definitely agree that the advertising for it was a little strange. Like I understand the symbolism and maybe the the heart of the the team or what they stand for, mm-hmm. but it was just I didn't know what to expect. But this was actually my like my presents uh, book mm-hmm. where I was like looking forward to it the most because I didn't know what it was. Yeah. So now that I do know what it was, it also reminded me a little bit of my experience with X Factor, where I'm coming into something with a whole new team. I don't know any of these people. Like Bob said, two of them exist. I I, I don't know them. But, but very briefly. Right. It's not but, even that you have to worry about. But it. that's cool because I, I ended up really enjoying the book and I'm going to stick with it and check it out. But um, it gave me, you know, a whole bunch of like a misfit team that I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And it was presented in a in a intriguing fashion, and uh, I like the way that the corruption of the city was depicted. So I'll be sticking with it for a couple of issues too. Yeah, Stephanie, did you get a chance to check it out? You know what? As soon as he said the movement, I was like, "God damn it!" Because <laughs> like I wrote out Bobby and I like we usually try and talk out the show a little bit beforehand and make sure we've read each other's comics for the most part. Or we try, mm-hmm. and I had this on my list. I downloaded it from Comicsology and. I was going through everything, and I'm like, yeah, I've read everything. I've read extra stuff. I am good. I am caught up. Shit is happening in my world. And I somehow forgot this completely. You love a it. likely story. Shut up. It is yeah. all the likely and all the true. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, quiet. <laughs> I meant to read it. I will. You will. You'll enjoy it. Look, one of the nice. things Gail said during this week when, when someone was commenting to her about it, it, it's the these characters are the voice of the disenfranchised mm-hmm. in in this city. And the character who I think speaks most for that is Virtue, the character who can read emotions yeah. and talks to the policeman where, you know, um, my name's Virtue, Captain. Nice to meet you. Now get the hell out. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's what this book's about. Just mm-hmm. get lost. We We got this now. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like a book like this, which doesn't deal with any of the big characters, makes the universe feel more connected to me somehow. I agree. That's a great point. You know, because it flushes out the stuff that you're not, you're not just seeing the headlines, you know, you're seeing the the day-to-day slice, it's not slice of life, obviously, it's it's a superhero book through and through, but, you know, the underbelly of stuff, the the, the not-so-pretty part, and... But it's that it's not the dark part. It's not the Justice League dark. It's not the supernatural part. It's that part in between, you know. Whereas if there were all these superheroes running around, there would be superheroes who weren't on a team and weren't mm-hmm. bad guys. You know, they'd be somewhere in the middle. They'd just be people trying to make their way and protect where they live and all this stuff. And and very and I think the John Carpenter thing is very apt because it does yeah. have that feeling to it that. The stuff that happens in the the dark parts of the alley, you know, that that most people don't see. Well, it reminded me of like a They Live or uh, In the Mouth of Madness or something to to that effect. And um, I mean, it's not to not to say that that DC, I mean, they they do some really amazing things, but they've been focusing so much on, you know, their their key characters and establishing teams and establishing solid series for them that. 
I think, and I do realize that it's a number one and it's a new book, but the book also feels new. Yes, it if does. that makes sense, mm-hmm. that they're they're creating like a, a almost like a team out of out of misfits and out of nothing, mm-hmm. and making and making it into something cool and something different. That we've been reading all the Green Arrow and the Batman and you know all of this stuff and watching these characters being tossed around a group together, and now you have a whole new group that it's like something fresh from them. And I think this is, they need more of stuff like this. Right. Yeah. Uh, Knowing Gail's work for having followed Birds of Prey and everything else for all these years, you will get these characters so fleshed out. And it'll happen organically, Mm -hmm. little bits at a time. You'll be fed information. Everyone will have a highlight. Right. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, you know, I love Batgirl, but I'm more excited about this than reading Batgirl just because it's, that it's the unknown that I'm excited to to take in. Uh, anything else, Bob? You want it. to talk about? Okay, Stephanie, you didn't read the movement. What did you read that you loved this week? Oh my god, I read so much stuff. <laughs> For reals, okay. I did. Um, so again, I was like talking to Bobby about some of the stuff I read this week, and a lot of it was not new stuff. Um, as you may have known, if you um, subscribed to uh, Comicsology's Marvel deal. Yes. Um, they re-released all those comics. I think we talked about it when it happened. And I picked up a ton of them. And so I downloaded a bunch and kind of started going through these comics. And um, of those comics, I kind of was trying to pick up on some of the um, comics, like the one-shots um, with female characters. Because there, there's a lot that I really, I'm just not familiar with. So, I mean... This week I read like the Dazzler one shot, yeah, <laughs> which was actually surprisingly awesome. Just saying. <laughs> what year did that one come out? That was actually 2012. Um, oh, I don't hmm. know who wrote it, but I recognized the name like because there was a couple Toronto people that were involved in it. Kalman and Dravovsky, sorry, <laughs> Kalman and Ramon Perez, who's on Wolverine and the X Men, I think right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but. I, I don't know who wrote it, but it was actually surprisingly fun. And I've never really read anything with the Dazzler before. And I kind of enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, and then I, I checked out Firestar, which has art by Emma Rios. Ooh. Ooh. Um, which was also surprisingly a lot of fun. And it's kind of sad because these are all one shots. But I would have really enjoyed reading more of these. Um, I read like Cloak and Dagger one shot from 2012. The Marvel Girl one shot from... Joshua Fialkov, um, the Valkyrie one-shot by Brian J.L. Glass. Mm-hmm. Um, there was two Miss Marvel one-shots, which were like follow-ups to each other. So I think that kind of counts as a mini-series, but, you know, whatever, Marvel. <laughs> um, by Brian Reed, which were a lot of fun. And then I read like part of the Psylocke mini-series and um, the Rescue one-shot, which is by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Yeah. yeah. Which was also a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um. She did the Sif one shot as well, which I w- read a while back when she came on the show. I think for the first time. Yeah, that's a really that's, that's a, a really one. awesome issue. But um, just so you know, like if any of you are looking for some great older comics to kind of check out, and especially for our women listeners and people who want to read um, comics with really strong female characters, I recommend all of those. Wow. The Firestar one. Um, I don't think I've ever really been familiar with the character i don't even think i knew she really existed mm. and it was a lot of fun and i not fun it, it has really dark moments and it's a bit sad but it was great mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that, it a lot but yeah i mean um i think my 
I mean, I've read a ton of other stuff too. Um, just quickly, Avengers Arena, I want to give some props to the issue number two. Okay. Uh, a while back when we initially talked about the first issue, I pooped all over it. Yep. Because <laughs> I hated it. Yep. But the second issue, I decided to check it out on my flight back from Minnesota this weekend, and it was really heartfelt. I enjoyed it. Um, the second issue, if you've been following Avengers Arena, follows a little girl who um, pretty well like she passes away in a freak robot accident. And her father brings her back with cybernetics and all this stuff. And I thought it was pretty well done. Isn't it a death locket? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I enjoyed that. Um, so I'm actually going to check out a little bit more of Avengers arena now that I've read that second issue. Cool. Um, um, just so you know, the dazzler issue you were talking about actually came out in 2010. It's, it was written by Jim McCann. Okay. Sorry. Well, well he's uh, mind the gap. Yeah. Yes. Um, and just super quickly as well, uh, my follow-up to Amala's Blade, the issue, zero issue. Mm-hmm. The first issue was really awesome. Um, so I definitely recommend checking out um, the first issue of that. I think one of our contributors wrote up a really great review for it as well. So um, if you don't believe me, you can take their word on it. I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't remember who wrote it up. I'm pretty but sure it my... was Joey. I think it was Joey Pacino. Okay. Yeah. Well, kudos. Um, and my number one comic for this week because it was just a really cool idea is um the dream merchant which is by nathan edmondson and art by constantine novasadov nice yeah, <laughs> done. nailed it mic drop i'm out guys <laughs> <laughs> but um it's a really cool story where basically um there's this guy and his whole life he can't really distinguish between dreams and reality and he's not really sure if it's a mental illness or if there's something else because his dreams are really vivid. And um, you kind of see him briefly as he's a kid and then as he's growing up. And the dreams never really get any less vivid and he winds up in a mental hospital. Ooh, cool. And um, from there, things take a really interesting turn where you kind of figure out – not figure out, but you see um, – another side to this story with the dreams and it's it's really interesting um i enjoyed the crap out of it actually (laughs) i I don't really know what else to say about it i don't want to give a lot away because it it just is a really interesting um words it's really (laughs) interesting but the art um is by again Konstantin novosadov or something like that and it's (laughs) really great i don't think he's ever been on a book before i think this is his kind of debut and it's fantastic it's got this kind of um i don't know it's almost a bit like um gabriel bond fabio moon kind of esque Mm -hmm. but then it kind of the colors are something else completely that i can't quite pinpoint but they give a really great vibe to the story and really add to the tone of what's going on and i think it's out today actually i could be wrong it might be next week i might be wrong <laughs> but so, either way if it's out today or next week look out for it because it's great awesome awesome yep. um steve what do you got for us <laughs> follow let's that see yeah fo- how do i follow that let's see uh let's talk about superior spider-man for a minute because this was a big it was a big issue big 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 issue mm-hmm. and a big deal for uh 
the Twitterverse, the internets, <laughs> were uh, once again all up in a huff about Dan Slott and his decisions in this series. I personally, I'm not going to give anything away, but duh and hooray. Those are, that's my two-word review for this issue. Um, it was inevitable what was going to happen, and I think it just adds to the the craziness that this is and the this period in Spider-Man's history I think is very interesting and a lot of fun and I applaud Dan Slott for taking the risk and I can't wait to see what else he does with it. Yeah, I mean I thought it was very very good. I, you know, I had heard all of the crazy reaction before I read it and then I read it and I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I thought the first issue was going to be. Right. That's basically, and I'm not gonna give anything, you know, any details about it, but that's basically what I what I thought after I read it. It's a great issue. It has a really, really inventive, well drawn out uh, battle scene, which involves a lot of really cool things and interesting imagery and some really sad emotional moments and some really big uh, action beats. Yeah, second act is really well played. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it earns it. I mean, Dan Slott's earned all this stuff. And again, you know, I, I, I think about what Rucka said when he was on the show. And he talked about, he doesn't like it when people come on a book for, you know, a couple of months or half a year and change something intrinsic to the book and then leave. You know, he, you know if you're going to change something, you got to stick around and see it through. You can't do a drive-by. Yeah. you got to be in on it. Mm-hmm. Um and Dan Slott's been writing Spider-Man for years now. This is not, you know, obviously he and he, he says obviously he has no plans to leave anytime soon. So what he's doing right now, I, I think it's it makes the book um, surprising every week that I every month that I read it or every two times a month that I read it. And for me, that's all I'm looking for in a book like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the segment art is beautiful as well. Oh yeah, I mean it, it keeps me nailed, you know, to my seat. Like I just. Mm-hmm. I really have been enjoying it. Every time that the issue is over, I want more of it. Now, even though it's only a two-week wait, mm. I still want more. And I can't, when I looked at the, I bought it. I was like, it doesn't say Superior Spider-Man anywhere on it. I didn't even <laughs> see that it was in the brain on the cover. Nice. It's a really cool cover, though. Um, one of my other favorite books of the week was uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Ben Temple Smith's Ten Grand. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that that wasn't your book of the week? Was it? It wasn't. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, I expected to like this book, but I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I, I really, um, just really, really, really kind of fell for it. Ben Temple Smith's artwork is superb. It, it fits the universe immediately and very, very well. It reminds me of, obviously, people were drawing comparisons to, like, Hellblazer and Constantine. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's essentially... It's yeah, essentially, that's what it is. It's essentially what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to be honest with you, I, I love Lemire to death, but I've not really been liking Constantine that this was released and, like, this kind of is scratching my itch mm-hmm. for that kind of thing, and I'm, I'm kind of wavering on the other. Mm-hmm. But, uh, eh, it happens. Yeah. So, um, I mean, do we really need to tell p- people what it's about? I mean, it's about it's about a guy who has a seedy background who makes a deal to save his soul by chasing down uh, escaped souls that need to be damned. There you go. And he can, he can he can see things other people can't see. He has a little bit of magic to him, and he he's not so you know he he will he will do the wrong thing to um, uh, ultimately achieve his goal. Yes. So he's John Constantine. <laughs> Precisely. 
a little bit of dead man. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yes. I liked it though, and I like that. Um, I was looking in the previews, and there's no one of six or one of anything. This is an ongoing. Yeah, I'm assuming. A, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. We basically, no, it says in the back. Uh, Straczynski has a, uh, a an afterword that he basically says this story is going. It's going to go until it's done. He's like, it's not. We're not going to. We're not going to keep it going. If it sells really well, just to keep it going, its whole thing is like there'll be stories done and through, and then you know we'll we'll go on to the next one. It's like his imprinted image, Joe's Comics, oh. or whatever. Uh, the uh, you know the the book for me, the, the the narrative part of the book is cool, and it's very reminiscent of Hellblazer. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think sometimes working within an established framework can allow you to take a shortcut from all the exposition to just tell your your story and do some cool stuff. Uh, the writing is good. It, the you know I I feel that sameness to Hellblazer takes away from the writing for me a little bit in this first issue. But the art is amazing. Ben Temple Smith, the he it's like his style. It's like it's like chameleon like because it changes from page to page, yet never feels you know out of place. You know, it never feels like he's inconsistent. And I wrote this, uh, uh, I, I thought this, and I, I just got to jot this down, I don't have it on me, so I don't remember my exact wording, but it feels like, it's almost like he's drawing it as like these demons that are chasing, you know, our main character are actually coming for him, you know? There's such an immediacy to the way he draws things, you know? And sometimes they're really, really scary, and they're really detailed, you know, like these demons, these like, these spider-like, yeah, yeah. like deformed demons are really scary. And then sometimes he just uses you know, very simple, you know, designs and just big swashes of color. And it's equally as scary, but for a different reason, because it fits the tone of the page that it's on. It's really, really great art. Um, and, you know, obviously, everybody knows how much I love <laughs> Jeff Lemire. That constantly book is okay. Mm-hmm. It doesn't scratch the gritty, dark itch of Hellblazer, though. It's much more of a superhero comic you know, with Constantine in it, and this is much feels much more like that stuff. Indeed, uh, yeah. So, moving on, mm-hmm. my absolute favorite book of the week. Uh, last week, I talked about a book from Craig Thompson called Blankets. It was absolutely stupendous. So, what do you do when you like somebody a lot? Is you go out and you buy another one of their things. And you make sure that it wasn't just the one book that you really loved. So I went out and I picked up a book called Habibi by Craig Thompson. It is an astounding 672 pages. And what it is essentially is a Islamic fairy tale between Hmm. a young child and a young woman, young girl, and their journeys through their journeys. And I should say their hardships through life in and kind of like a uh, a mirror for the first world nations versus third world nations lots and lots and lots of iconography of religion and belief systems and how they mirror one another and just a I know some of our listeners and and some of our readers they like those affecting books those books that really take you on a journey uh, like I said, this thing is 600, uh, 672 pages. I read this in a day. It's one of those books that the story and the narrative grabs you. It, it reads like someone's life, like you're reading a diary mm-hmm. uh, of someone. The relationships that are explored in this book are spectacular. 
It's very, uh, I will warn people though, it does deal with a lot of kind of taboo uh, subject matter. There's lots of sex and depiction of different races and different belief systems. So if that kind of stuff bothers you, I don't know if you'll want to check it out. But um, this book basically made me very, very curious about these religions. As I had stated last time, um, it's just not it's just not a subject that I look into, but this book actually made me want to look into those things. It's a very um, affecting book, and I just don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It's one of those things that it'll like, it'll stick with me mm-hmm. after reading it. That if you hand it to somebody, you'll hope that they enjoy it as much as you did. Oh. So I don't know. Maybe somebody will read it someday and like it <laughs> as much as I did. I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about it without mm. getting super personal, and I don't want right. to do that. So. Okay. Just take it from me. Uh, it's called Habibi by Craig Thompson. If you want a very engaging and very engrossing book, something you could really sink yourself into, uh, check it out. It's pretty. It's pretty great. Awesome. Awesome. I tried. <laughs> you did well. Um, Thank you. So I'll, I'll close our, our little section out uh, really quick. Uh, the Free Comic Book Day, the Marvel one, the Infinity, is kind of the first introduction to this event we're going to coming i think a six-part event that we're going to get in, in the summer and it you know it, it's well written and it looks very nice it doesn't really it doesn't really make me want to read the event any more mm. than before you know it's a cool setup but you know the whole kind of like and it's thanos is kind of like the, the you know the the payoff like of coming it on the tonight show is you know but it's just like and this is who is behind this and he's, uh, he's on the cover so it's not uh, like you don't know that already uh you know, it just tries to set up how you know how how evil he is, and you know what he's willing to do to get what he wants, and basically transitions him to Earth. the The thing that I actually really like receiving a smaller sample, but there's a couple page sample at the back for the Warren Ellis, uh, Mike McCone, uh, Avengers graphic novel that's coming out, which Marvel is touting, and I don't know how how they're categorizing this as their their first original graphic novel. Um, as opposed to the death of Captain Marvel from 30 years ago. So, but I don't, I don't yeah. know, what, you know, whatever. But it's Warren Ellis and Mike McCone, and it's called Avengers: Endless Wartime. And there's just a couple, couple pre- preview pages of it, which I just found uh, really interesting and something I really want to pick up uh, when it comes out. Uh, saying in the Thanos world, uh, Thanos Rising number two, I thought was it took the end of the other book, which I so much enjoyed, and kept going with it, and I really, really liked it. Uh, you you kind of see the shape of things in this and how he's going to be doing it. He's very much skipping forward in time. Like we got him as a young kid in the first issue, and this were teenager uh, time. And you see it develop more about kind of where he's becoming. You know, uh, I still don't think I need to see how he becomes this tyrant necessarily, but the story that's being told is interesting, and the art is beautiful, so I like it very much. Uh, Stephanie, you liked the first issue. Did you get a chance to read the second one? This is Thanos, right? Yeah. Sorry. Again, cut out a little bit. I cut everything else. But yeah, no, I did check it out. Um, it goes back to that whole, I don't need a backstory for Thanos. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know if this is an issue, a story that I will actually really keep up with. After the second issue, I was mostly really dis- disinterested with it. Okay. Um, it just, it's not bad. It's just maybe not something that's particularly up my alley. Right, Absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, really quick again, uh, Age of Ultron, uh, number seven, uh, which I... It's number seven, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, book seven. Yeah. 
which you know I really enjoyed. And there's and I'm not gonna go into it again. We're we're gonna do this. We're gonna do a whole thing about it when it's over. But uh, there's again there's time travel involved here, and the 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 setting we get is after an event happens. It's kind of like the possible future for this event that occurred. Uh, things are a little different. You know, heroes are slightly tweaked. They have slightly different identities. Blah blah whatever. Um, the relationships are a little bit different. I found it that to be really fun and a really great read. I, I saw a lot of criticism being like, well, why does it matter? You know, what does this mean? Is it all going to ma- mean something? Does it, you know, you know, and to me, I don't really care. The, the story I read was really cool. It hasn't been, it's so little been touching the other books that have been around that I don't even think of it as that kind of event, you know? So I enjoy it just purely on a book by book storytelling basis. And to me, this kind of alternate universe stuff really, really grabbed me. So I, I'm excited to see where, where it goes next. Uh, Steve, did you read it? I did. Uh, I liked it. I did. I've been enjoying that event for the most part. I do think it's rather strange, though, that they're saying that the final issue, the last couple pages, different writer, different artist, or maybe just different, different artist. Different artist. But yeah. it's going to change mm-hmm. the Marvel Universe forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If it is an event that isn't really tied into too many things and does feel like it could exist wholly on its own, are they going to pull like a rabbit out of the hat at the very end to link it to everything else or not? Well, probably. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I would assume yeah. so. I mean, I have no idea. We're, we're, we're still three issues away from the ending. Um, but to me, like, this is, this, is the way, this is the way I prefer an event to be laid out. Because it, I don't have to read a million tie-ins. Those tie-in issues, I've read maybe one of them. I I've read all of them. And right. Quite. They've been very good. Right. And well, but you, and the, the ones that have been good, I don't feel like I'm missing anything for not reading them. Mm-hmm. And you know, however this comes and and that you know the like the change the Marvel Universe forever thing. I'm sure they've said that six thousand times. You know, so I I I don't know how big of that moment it's going to be, but. I would rather this the way they lay it out than it tie in all the books and we go through a a, a six a three month long thing with you know twenty eight issues and you know if you don't read this what order are they coming in I'd rather see it like this yeah so. no I mean don't get me wrong I've really been enjoying the event and mm-hmm. I enjoy the way it's laid out everything you just said I just think that when you put the it's gonna change everything that kind of billing carries a certain weight. Like words, yeah. words have yeah. a lot of weight and a lot of meaning that if, yeah. if a company puts it or creators put it out there, you expect them to follow suit that I'm just wondering if, be, like, I'm just saying personally that I agree with you that mm. it feels like something that exists on its own. And I don't care whether mm. it exists on its own or it ties into the mm. universe or not. It doesn't mm. make a difference to me. I'm enjoying it either way. Yeah. I'm just, it's got me wondering what the hell it could be, I and mean, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's the whole, you know, dangling the carrot. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And uh, it's a mighty big carrot. Yeah. Well, and speaking of dangling that carrot, Brian Michael Bendis posted somewhere, and it was on CBR this week, mm. a gigantic document. Oh, really? About all the changes that would happen if the big event from the last issue happened. Gotcha. Hmm. You know, when there's a change in a major character that goes that far back in Marvel's history, mm. what what are the ramifications? Mm. So he's thought this through to the point where any of those things are in play if we do use that carrot. Right. It's going to be another universe. It's going to be the Ultron universe. <laughs> that could save me a whole lot of money. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, have you been keeping up with it? Yeah. 
I said I would stop reading it, but I keep reading it. <laughs> and I don't know. I was really annoyed. I think I think I mentioned this before, but part of my big issue with the Age of Ultron series as a whole, again, without, you know, spoiling it for anyone, was the fact that I hate when they force characters to act out of character for the sake of moving along a plot. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that's still where this story stands. And I'm reading it because I want to know what's going on. But I can't say that I'm a fan. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, uh, really quick. This is a weird week for me because there was nothing that really like, like blew me away. You know, uh, Black Bat number one uh, by Brian Bucciolato. I found to be a cool introduction to the character. I don't know what's coming next. I'm definitely giving another issue to see. Uh, it didn't, you know, grab me completely, uh, but I like uh, the way the story is told and the way it's laid out. And so I'm going to keep going. And me, really, my book of the week, we've talked about it so many times, though, is Hawkeye, uh, number 10. Awesome. Uh, uh, yeah. Francesco Francavilla. It's beautiful. It's right. so different than David Aja's work, but equally as stylized, just in a different, mm-hmm. in different form. Still fits. Still fits. Yeah. Uh, he does his own coloring. The, the color palette is gorgeous. You know, this it's the cover. You know, the the the, the burnt oranges and the blacks, and you know, uh, I loved getting inside the world of this uh, th- this villain, and the way you kind of see the events of the last nine issues from a different perspective. Uh, I don't think it misses a beat. You know, I, I don't I don't think necessarily the the story is probably not as off the wall or untraditional as it's been in the last nine issues. But I still, I still, still have my favorite book of the week. So, Bob, Absolutely. what did you think about it? I definitely agree. I was going to talk about it, but I knew you would. Yeah. So we get loads of great Kate stuff here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's almost Hitchcockian. Yeah. It, where you, as you change focus from mm. one character to the other and back and forth and get in, you get, a, he's a villain, but mm. you get an explanation, which yeah. is, and it's a really good one. It isn't, he was picked on as a kid. Yeah. There's something <laughs> really major going on mm. here. And you're still not sure why yeah. things have happened. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what 10 brings us. Yeah. I like that I now have a face to put my hate for what he's done in the book so Because <laughs> he pissed me off. Uh, it was a wonderful issue. It was mm-hmm. a really great follow-up to the events of the last one. And that series just continues to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It's good times. All right, so that is it uh, for our books of the week. We're going to take a little break, and then we're going to review Iron Man 3. For those of you who are worried, possibly, that you're going to be spoiled, uh, we'll do what we always do. The, the first part of the review will be an unspoiled, uh, just general impressions of the film, and then we will let you guys know from now on we're going to do spoilers, and then from now on we will, we will talk about the movie um, you know, without care. So just so you guys know, uh, we're going to take a little break. We'll come back, and we'll talk about Iron Man 3.
And of course, uh, we are here to review Iron Man 3. Now, I said it before the break. I'll say it again. The first part of the review is going to be spoiler-free. We're going to talk about general impressions. Nothing more than you'd get in, you know, let's say, like a variety review huh? of, of, of the movie. Um, <clears throat> then we'll take a break. Um, and Not take a break. We'll, we'll, we'll say we're going to do spoilers. And then from then on, we will talk about in-depth about, uh, you know, plot details and such. <clears throat> Maybe what we think it means for future uh, Marvel movies. Um, so I can't talk about Gwen Stacy in this part. No, not not in, not from Iron Man. No, it's an no interesting way. twist from Marvel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so you know, Iron Man three. Obviously, the story of Tony Stark. We're post Avengers. The events of New York have happened, and Tony is not the same. Uh, there are threats cr- cropping up over the world that he, you know, he feels incapable of facing both foreign and domestic. And this story really is about, you know, Tony learning to face those things and, you know, starting this new existence as this kind of new Tony Stark, who is very far from the Tony Stark we saw at the beginning of Iron Man one. Um, and obviously the rest of that is details. And we'll, we'll talk about those as we go along. Um, Stephanie, uh, why don't you start out, just give me your general impressions of Iron Man 3. Um, ooh, maybe I wasn't the best to start with. Okay, um, I thought it was so fun when you were watching the movie. Uh, there was lots of, like, great moments where you're just like, that's so clever. And there was just so much humor and great plot twists. And I just really enjoyed it when I was in the theater. And then for me personally once you were out of the theater the love was kind of gone and then it was like wow that doesn't really hold up afterwards okay so i mean i don't know it's one of those weird not hate uh like slash plot holes okay (laughs) i don't know it was it was a lot of fun to watch at the time i laughed um and i enjoyed it but then, it, it, for me, it just didn't hold up overall in the end. Still way better than Iron Man 2, but... Okay, yeah. absolutely. All right. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, Bob, let's go to you. Okay, I agreed completely with Stephanie. Better than 2, not as good as 1. Okay. What I really, really loved, the, the moment she's discussing, lots of nice humor, mm-hmm. but it's the greater emotional depth. Mm-hmm. First, in Tony, he's had a character arc, not just within this picture, but between... The two Iron Man films, this one and the Avengers, yes. it's all tied together. I love that they did that. We get a lot more of Pepper, mm-hmm. and they have a different relationship. That has changed as we go through. Yeah, It's nice to watch this all grow through this process. Mm-hmm. So considering the you know the number three curse and all these sort of things yeah. th- this holds up much better than most of our threes in these <laughs> these movies so gotcha. let's let's go with it it's 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 a really nice exercise with plot holes and a couple of problems that we'll get at as we go right um absolutely uh Steve what about you all right let's put it this way I absolutely loved Iron Man one mm-hmm. I liked Iron Man two I really liked Iron Man three okay so, so in, you're much the same in that they're saying yeah. in between the first and the second movie. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. absolutely. Um, there were three moments, and we'll, we'll get to them, but there were three moments within this movie where I, the first time I saw I saw it twice. The first time I saw it, uh, I held my breath. Mm-hmm. That it was very exciting, very engaging, and very funny. There were, there were things that I did not like about it on my first go around. That's why I saw it a second time. I wanted to be sure 
of of my own thoughts and uh in the end I really I did enjoy it. It's not my favorite of the Iron Man series or even I wouldn't put it near the top of the Marvel movies, but uh I mean from from my money and and for going with friends and everything, it was a great time. Uh I I definitely liked it more than than you guys did. I for me, you know, and I'll echo something that Stephanie said in the theater um you know, I laughed at all the moments I was supposed to laugh at. I was engaged by all the action that that was there to be engaged by, all the emotional stuff. I, I was I was really really into. Um, and for me, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the plot twist in detail as we go along. Plot twist to me, I found to be very clever uh, movie uh, plot twist. The, my favorite thing about the movie uh, is the way that it feels different than the other Iron Man movies, while still feeling as a part, like you said, the emotional mm-hmm. connection to those films. It very much feels like a Shane Black movie to me. It, if you've seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it has a lot of that tone and tenor to it. The The characters who aren't, you know, Pepper, Rhodey, and um, uh, Tony feel like Shane Black characters to me in a lot of ways. Those kind of surrounding mobsters, the, 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 the henchmen that you get. And even some of the, you know, the kid, the, all, all the stuff with the kid is a very Shane Black thing. Setting it at Christmas is a very lethal weapon mm-hmm. type of thing to do. Uh, and and that, that sense I really liked. I liked that it felt, it, it, it had moments that, as far as spectacle, spectacle goes, that rival stuff that happens in the Avengers. But it felt like its own beast. You know, it didn't feel like Avengers 1.5. It didn't feel like 1.1 to me. It felt like its own uh, its own monster and that was the things I really loved about it although I without getting into the plot twist where we do get to is one of the things that knocks it down a bit for me we end up with a battle over something that's rather like what we've seen in the first two okay yeah though I will say and I'll, you know I think it's funny whether whatever you think of, of this the big twist that occurs in the movie um it's the first Iron Man movie to have a satisfying, uh, you know, end battle that isn't just an Iron Man versus an Iron Man. You know, no, it's a much better battle. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, that's what I mean. Beautifully like, done. You know, uh, and I think I think the last I think the last thirty minutes of the movie, the the kind of rescue scene into the battle, I think both are tremendous scenes mm-hmm. that, that are action wise the the best thing you you probably seen in the Iron Man series to date. And it's also the best use of, well, it's not spoiling too much because it's in the trailers. Yeah. Best use of a character not in costume. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it makes sense, finally. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, and I I love Robert Downey Jr. I think that he pulls back when he needs to pull back and he turns it on when he needs to turn, turn it on. Um, and like you said, Gwyneth was great. I love the dynamic again between Don Cheadle and Robert Downey Jr. I could watch an entire movie just the two of them without suits on doing whatever they, they're doing, you know? Sitting in a diner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a I, great scene. I, I loved, uh, you know, all of that stuff. I disagree about the Gwyneth Paltrow stuff, but we can come back to that well, later, no, I go suppose. Right now. I mean, this I, is not you, spoilery. Yeah, you're okay. talking about plot well, points or performance-wise? Performance-wise. Okay. Throw it down, I Steph. I just feel like... I, I, I think generally I kind of like female actresses more than I like male actresses. Actors, not actresses. Male actors. Um, male actresses, yeah. <laughs> but like Gwyneth Paltrow, there's just something about her that I can't get behind. She is not good. Well, I, you don't like her. Again, she isn't. Every you, now you and don't... again, I can really I enjoy her, and 
I don't think I had a problem with her in the first two films. Like, I don't ever recall being like, wow, she's the worst. But, like, there was a few moments in this movie where I was just like, really, Gwyneth? Really? Like, <laughs> again, this is in the trailer. So, again, no spoilers. But you see Tony's house get blown up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you also see in the trailer Tony's stuck behind some rubble underwater. Yeah. And Gwyneth Pepper Potts's instinct is to, like, crawl to the edge of the house and be like, Tony! <laughs> like, in the most shrill, obnoxious voice I've ever heard. I was just like, am I the only one that wants to laugh right now? Am I? Am I, theater? Well, that's a little bit like Thor's no <laughs> at the end of the new trailer for Thor 2. It's just like, I. this is supposed to be a tender moment. Like, I don't feel... No, it's anguish. Like any... It's not tender. It's anguish. Well, yes, not tender. But you're supposed to feel her agony that Tony might be, you know, she's thinking the worst. And I'm just like, really? Well, you obviously you do not like Gwyneth Paltrow. So. That's not entirely true, though. Like, I don't, I mean, Mostly I don't true. think yeah. she's my favorite actress in the entire world. And I don't think I've ever had a problem with her. I don't recall having a problem with her as Pepper Potts. But in this particular movie, I just didn't enjoy her performance Mm. there was a few other moments which i won't talk about until the latter part of this discussion but um i just thought that she was the weakest link in this okay i mean to me uh this is the my actually the opposite of you this is actually my favorite performance of hers in the three movies because it feels the most like she's a full character in this movie and not kind of tony's accessory i know that she hasn't been good i i I love their banter in the first one and i think her banter in the second one is good as well but here she's given a little more agency over her herself and i always respond better to that um as far as characters this is like a complete nitpick like this is i'm saying this this has nothing to do with Gwyneth paltrow (laughs) but like the whole thing is a Christmas theme. Why wouldn't you release, release this in like November, Marvel? Because it's Iron Man. They're going to release it in May when it's going to make the most money. <laughs> the, only, the only time it's going to matter that it was released in May is this year. When it comes out on DVD at Christmas, it'll yeah, be perfect. It'll be perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, It's a Wonderful Life Touché. came out in July. Right. So, yeah, like, come yeah, on. Yeah. Um, did Die Hard come out in, the, in, in Christmas time? No, it's the summer movie. Yeah, and that's a that's one of the best Christmas movies ever made. <laughs> now I have a machine gun. Ho, yeah, ho, ho. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's actually one part of my excitement about being set at Christmas. I was like, great, it gets, gets to go into that lineup of movies that are like untraditional Christmas movies. <laughs> uh, you know, because I love watching those at, at Christmas well, time. Fair, story, watching Iron Man three. Yeah. You know, to be fair, in Toronto, there was patio weather um, on the weekend on Friday when I saw it, but in Minnesota, there that's was true. over a foot of snow. Really. So, <laughs> It's Minnesota, true. God damn. <laughs> Packed for like spring slash summer gear, wound up needing like winter shit that I did not have. <laughs> winter you, you shit. You could have worn your scuba wetsuit out in, in you know in public. Mm-hmm. True. Um and I think one thing that Iron Man three, you know, even Iron Man two when it's at its worst, which is I think when it kind of loses its way in the second half of the movie when all the shield stuff starts coming in and it starts feeling mm-hmm. much more like a setup film for a film that hasn't happened yet than its own movie. Um, even in the even in at that worst point, the Iron Man movies have always been great at this these character moments. You know, I, I you know Robert Jr. is not faulted for me. I think the replacement of I like Terrence Howard as an actor, but the replacement with Don Cheadle I, I think elevates the series in a lot yeah. of ways. Even though Don Cheadle is slighter in frame than Terrence Howard, there's a more of a fierceness 
to him more of an authority to when he speaks uh, that you I think you feel uh, there as well. Yeah, when he says something snarky to Tony, mm-hmm. I get that he really means it at some yeah. level. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, you get you get a little you get the uh, William Sadler playing the president yeah, for a little bit. Uh, uh, Miguel Ferrara playing the the vice right. president, and you know, there's just a good round out of character actors in in a lot of the roles um for me personally you know i actually think i i liked it more uh than the first iron man movie by, by a little bit um and for me it's probably it's probably third of my of my marvel movies really it goes for me it goes avengers cap and and then this movie Whoa, for me that was big words you know i just it, it's there are thing it's exactly what i want from a big blockbuster summer action movie you know I, I the fact that i laughed as many times as i did that's kind of my benchmark for these these types of movies you know and, and uh i i just there was not a moment where i was like oh what time is it you know what, what you know what's going on i was fully engaged and we we won't say it until after we get to the spoiler part but the post-credit sequence is hilarious yes <laughs> yes it is um now i'll say i was i might have Agreed with you mm-hmm. in my placement of this until the moment, right? In which we will get to. It's going right. to be the because that took me completely out of it. Big thrust, I think, of um, of our spoiler conversation, uh, and this big moment we're speaking of. It's going to talk about in two ways when we get to it, because it's going to talk about as a plot twist um, and the intelligence of doing it, regardless of its fidelity to past material, um, how an audience reacts to that, how a, a and, geek and, audience reacts and, to right, it. Which audience? Yeah, exactly. So what we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, anything more general we want to talk about before we go on to, to spoiler stuff? I had something like five minutes ago, but okay. I lost it. <laughs> um, I will say this. You know, they've talked a little bit about the, uh, the one gauntlet, one boot uh, action sequence. And I, I thought it was great. I, you know, it, it it did stuff I wasn't expecting. It was moving that way as I expected him to, and, and it felt like what was the end of Iron Man one. You know, when he's down to nothing, how it should have gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and this was kind of the realization of that. Though I think there was a little too much of the armor in pieces doing stuff. Right. I don't want to say too much. Yeah. He went to that well a few too many times mm. and a few too many hit in the crotch jokes. There was a couple hit in the crotch jokes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're you're Tony Stark. You'd have figured this out. Right. right? Third time <laughs> that, you know, maybe you should yeah. be doing that. Um, that's any, a nitpick. Yeah, that's a nitpick. Yeah. Uh, obviously. I mean, Steve, if you think of general stuff, we can obviously talk about when we're in spoilers. It's not like you can't do it. Uh, Seven, anything else general you want to talk about? I don't think so. Um, I think for the most part, it kind of sums it up right at the beginning. So I will wait until the former part of the show. All right. I mean, okay. Uh, Let's say right now, I mean, I guess we'll do it on a five star scale. Just give people a kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think on the four scores. Now I have to recalibrate. All right. Give me a second. (laughs) Uh, For me, it's a solid uh, four out of five stars. That's That's what I give it. Hmm. I'm going to jump in here and say three and a half. Okay. Three and a quarter. Okay. <laughs> getting very, getting very, yeah. my coming. is on me yeah. once again. Mm-hmm. I'll have to go three and a half as well. Okay. Cool. Awesome. All right. So from now on, we're going to talk, we're going to talk spoilers. We're going to talk the biggest spoiler first. So if you guys don't want to hear it, you want to tune out. Um, all right. So that was your last warning. All right. So 
obviously we get to the point in the movie we have Ben Kingsley built up as the Mandarin character. We've seen these videos. Uh, he's this Islamic sort of terrorist. We get a couple reviews. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. He's yeah. very kind of, he, you know, he has that sort of Osama bin Laden look. But yeah, there's a there's different there's differing uh, uh, iconography that surrounds him. They're billing him like one. Yeah, like one exactly. Yeah. Uh, we get a, one reveal, obviously, where we realize he's not somewhere overseas. He's you know in cahoots with Guy Pierce's uh, a character, and then the big reveal when Tony comes to. He, you know, to uh, confront him, to find him, we discover that the person we've been seeing as the Mandarin is really an actor who's been, you know, putting on the stuff. He's just like, like this very ridiculous, drunk Trevor. guy. Trevor, exactly. Uh-huh. His name is Trevor. Um, so let's talk about this. Uh, you know, uh, Steve, you want to go first? I have a question. Yeah. And that's pretty much where my, my, I don't want to call them criticisms, but where my inconsistencies for the movie begin. Why, if you're Killian Aldridge and you hire this guy and you want him to to be the Mandarin and be this, be the, the guys for this, this character that you've created. Yeah. Why do you choose a drug addled somebody who falls asleep in mid conversation and you don't even really know much about him. You heard that he did his, his leer was like the toast of subsidiaries. You you never even heard of, but why choose that guy instead of one of your many, many henchmen who might be of the same ethnicity and give that job to somebody who might have their shit together? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, I think, well, a, because I don't think his henchmen are actors. Um, so th- there's that. Um, B, it's not as funny. It's not as funny, and it's not as interesting. Uh, and um, I-, I think you find somebody down and out and with nothing, uh, no- no- nothing, because how do you force someone else to do that in-, in that way? All right. Well, let me ask. Let me ask you this then. We're talking spoilers, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. We're full spoilers. The scene where he's talking to the president in the Air Force One. Yeah. And he holds the gun to the du- the oil rig dude's head. And he shoots him in the head. Yeah. Now, he says in the movie that, you know, oh, it's all movie magic love yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Really? Like, is that he shot somebody in the head, the entire nation, uh, we didn't see it, but they saw it, they reacted to it. Did he really believe that when he shot this guy in the head that it was movie magic because he was so strung out? Well, we don't know if it's not movie magic. You've, you, we've seen plenty of shootings on screens before that look like they're real that are they're fake in movies. I think that's what he's saying. Okay. That it's that it was an effect. Like that guy's not actually dead. I didn't actually shoot him in the head. It was for this effect. Because there's obviously a a governmental conspiracy that's involved in this in aim. And we we haven't said that either. It's a it's aim, it's aim. which is great that they threw that and rocks on oil, which is an old yeah. Marvel bit. It's bit in it now company. too. It's in Scarlet Spider a lot too. It's got one of the yeah. baddie things in Scarlet Spider. So that stuff is included in there. Um but I mean the actual the actual thing of the person they put up as the Mandarin um, being fake, not necessarily the Mandarin being fake, because the kind of conceit is that Guy Pierce is the Mandarin. You know, he's the one behind all this stuff. Uh, but this idea of this, the figurehead being fake, what was it about it that bothered you the most, Bob? Well, first of all, we're dealing with fidelity to source material. And on top of everything else, the Mandarin is Iron Man's chief archenemy. Mm-hmm. Has been for years and years and years. 
this was going to be in the first movie. We talked about the, the, mm. the Ten Rings, ten rings and yeah. so on and so forth. And I don't maybe they didn't want to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, we they found a way. I mean, in the script, they found a way, and with this performance, to pull him out of his Fu Manchu yellow peril roots. Right. <laughs> found a new way, and not make him necessarily Bin Laden either. Mm-hmm. Yellow peril is a real term from the old literature <laughs> oh, days. I'm, I'm I have no doubt to, it's a real term, Bob. Bob. It's it's it's, a re, it's I, I have no what doubt. they called characters like that in the 40s yeah. and 50s. The, the yellow claw and all of yeah, this yeah. sort of old Marvel stuff. <laughs> they had repositioned this character to be exactly what he was in the books in terms of his relationship with Iron Man mm. without being insulting, demeaning, mm. being just a general really bad guy with gigantic upside mm. and a different sort of adversary. It's now magical. It's these rings. Mm. Tony has moved forward. He's now seen gods and spacemen and everything else. It would have been perfect so to then have him be some drunken sot is a, is a punch in the gut. It was, it was just ridiculous, and I'd love to have been on, in that pitch meeting. We're going to do it this way. Why wasn't Guy Pierce his minion? Mm. What's wrong with it being the other way around? Let's put it this way. If this were uh, Dark Knight, mm-hmm. and we, we see the Joker, and he's doing all this stuff, and then two-thirds of the way through... Um, one of the crime bosses shows up and go, he's just some drunken actor I hired to pretend to be the Joker. You'd feel cheated, completely and utterly cheated, which is how I felt here. I was really digging this movie. To this point, it's like, I can't wait to see this big finish, this third act, and the Mandarin and the rings and an Iron Man battle, and I didn't get that. I got another dopey businessman fighting over patents. Eh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um... You know, for for me, the twist. Um, now, again, we're coming at it from d- from different views here. You know, I know the Mandarin is Iron Man's chief villain. I couldn't tell you a storyline with the Mandarin. You know, I have no frame of reference. I know that he has magic rings, and, and I was interested to see what what they were going to do with him and how they were going to change him and, and whatever. Uh, for me, when the twist happened, you know. I I uh, when I uh, I try to at least it doesn't always happen when I when I see movies based on things that I love I at least attempt to try to see it as a movie fan rather than the fan of the thing that it's based on and I can't always do it sometimes it falls away and I'm sure if it was something like the Joker I would not be able to keep that division you know but watching it you know sitting there and kind of just absorbing this movie I I thought it was a really clever twist and I it completely surprised me. You know, and that doesn't happen a lot in movies. And I don't, you know, part of me with these movies, and it's the same thing we kind of talked about the Johnny Storm thing a little bit, was just that I I don't want to know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? And, and, just, and if they made him the Mandarin he's supposed to be, that I don't necessarily mean I'm going to know what's going to happen. But that sense of surprise and that sense of willingness to change things up uh, kind of excited me about the movie, you know? And I enjoyed the Ben Kingsley performance when he was being like the the Mandarin, like the scary guy, and I also enjoyed him when he was like the Russell Brand or whatever he was doing at the end, you know. Trevor, and, what'd you say? Nothing, just Trevor. Do you say Trevor? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I fully understand why people are upset by it. And if it was in their character closer to me, I would I would probably also feel upset about it. But for me, watching the movie, it didn't bother me just because I was like, huh, I didn't expect that, and I was like, I was into it, you know. 
So that that's that's the yeah. thing why it didn't face. See, me. to me, I look at this. This is to me the first major misstep Marvel's made okay. in their controlled movies. This is worse than Julian McMahon's Lex Luthor Doctor Doom. Okay, because at least it, he he started stupid and finished stupid. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there were just two minutes of him not being Doctor. You know, two movies of him not being Doctor Doom. Right. This teased you mm-hmm. with the real Mandarin, mm-hmm. and if I loved every other moment of this movie. Right. That was such a fundamental betrayal of what this character had meant to, to Iron Man for 50 years of storyline. Right. And that you put it to, we found a way to do this correctly, and then went, no, we're kidding. Ha ha. Mm. Ugh. Okay. Uh, Stephanie, what did you think of the, uh, of the twist? Um, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I don't like like you bobby i don't really know um iron man as a comic i haven't really read a lot of stuff featuring him outside of like avengers and all that so you know i'm not familiar with the mandarin too much um outside of maybe you know um what was the video game ultimate alliance yeah yeah you know he was in that for a bit wasn't he yeah yeah i think so yeah and like occasional little references and kind of looking things up on Wikipedia when, you know, the character has been, you know, mentioned. So for me to say I was really disappointed with the story because of what they did is something that I don't have the right to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I do understand where comic book fans are coming from. I know a lot of people were disappointed with that and like Bob included. And you weren't the first person to mention that to me. And I understand that. Like, I see where that's coming from because, you know, if I was a fan of Iron Man, I feel cheated too. Um, but there's this weird, like part of me that does feel cheated on behalf of those people. Cause I'm like, <laughs> that sucks because I know what it's like to have a character that you're familiar with be kind of taken away from you mm-hmm. in a movie. Um, so I kind of feel where those people are coming from. Um, but at the same time, I see Marvel's predicament with, you know, how to present the Mandarin as a character in this movie. And, um, I did laugh at Trevor and I did find him fun. And, you know, there was a while when I thought that he was just when before they told you that he was an actor, I thought maybe he had like multiple personality disorder or something. Mm-hmm. And that's how they were going to play it off. Like he's not here right now, but he'll be here in a minute. And then he'd <laughs> flip a switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where I thought they were going to go with that. But they just took it into a really comical, um, down a really comical path. And, you know, again, it would be hypocritical of me to say that I didn't laugh. Mm-hmm. I found it funny and I enjoyed it. But um, I think it was a weird move for Marvel to make. I hmm, I think I'm kind of going in circles a bit now. But, no, but I think no, that you're... was a very well reasoned and absolutely, you know. And to a large extent, I like I was saying, I agree with you completely. Like I I understand that feeling. Uh, I just didn't have it, so it's tough for me to have that feeling third party. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean? Like I, I I was like, whoa, that's crazy. But I didn't have that betrayed feeling that I've had before in plenty of movies. You know, exactly. I, but I just didn't have it there, so uh, I, I, and I, I, so I didn't lose that engagement, you know, in the movie. What's sad though, they did. I'm sorry, Steve. I just cut you off. 
Um, right. what? No, he wasn't uh, going to talk. No, you're good. They did the Red Skull perfectly. Right. Loki mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. So you, you were setting up all mm-hmm. these. We're, we know what works here. We're going to do mm-hmm. these films. We're going to do them the right way. And to have put it out there, again, the Mandarin Wood is going to be really tough to do in the classic comic book way. Mm-hmm. But they had found a new way. They made a multinational and yeah. not of anything mm-hmm. particularly, hints of a lot. Yeah. But to have him sit there with the rings and tease us for it, if it was from the beginning, mm. to have a plot twist just to, to, to in essence, it, it attracted the people who don't know it. It's better for non-fans. Mm. But to, to make this leap where they hadn't made it before in the other movies just seems a, a, unnecessary, to mm. use Stephanie's <laughs> word. Um, you know, with the Red Skull and even with Loki, though, they're white characters. They're Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And I mean, nobody's going to call racism on something like them being villains. And I see where Marvel was coming from, especially they have like a lot of heat on them for, you know, the Orson Scott card stuff, which obviously came like afterwards. That's, that? that's, that's DC. That's DC. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I mean, they're, even outside of Marvel, though, it mm. still stands that there's a lot of pressure on comics to be more equal and um i again i this is just repeating myself but it does come down to the fact that they all want to look like they're playing their part in um diversity you know diversity yeah yes yeah yeah and i don't fault them for what they're trying to do as far as that goes but i really think in this case they had they had pulled back from the whole look the Mandarin was Stan Bard from every place. Mm. The Mandarin is Fu Manchu. He's Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon. Right, he's yeah. all those characters from years and years and years of, of terrible pulp books. He, ben Kingsley was not doing that, mm-hmm. specifically not doing that. He had, an, he had an accent that wasn't anything. Yeah. And so you were in a place where the character was going to work as it was going to work within the film. Mm-hmm. So to then betray the film itself and where you would set up to that point it, it's sort of like a double shot yeah um and i mean this 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 is total speculation coming from me yeah, the only the only out i give them at all in in the use of the mandarin is just uh the idea they did set up the 10 rings in in the first movie you know maybe there's something else maybe it's sort of like a razel ghoul you know, situation Batman begins or yeah, maybe, you know, maybe Guy Pierce is using an identity that he knows exists, you know, as sort of like this specterish, you know, thing that, no, that's, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, no, I'm taking that in from possible, nothing, but, you know, yeah. but, uh, so, you know, I mean, did anybody say about, about that twist, especially where should we move on to other points in the movie? Go Steve. Do you want to um, go? T- I mean, he talked about it a little bit, but do you want to say anything else about the Ben Kingsley Mandarin twist, Steve? Uh, probably. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. I, I, I have, I have no, I've never read an Iron Man comic. I just mm. want to say that. Right. I've seen him in books, but I've never read an, an Iron Man comic before. I don't know what to read. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really, really enjoying Ben Kingsley, like his Mandarin, the, the voice, mm-hmm. the presence, the, everything about it. I was really, really into it. So when they pull the switcheroo, you know, however much through the movie, 
even without having that background on the character, I felt taken out of the character almost entirely. Okay. I... Iron Man 3 is probably the most the, the the Marvel film that I feel the most divided about because there are things that I absolutely love about it, there are things I don't understand about it, and there are things that I flat out don't like about it. But one of those things with, with the Mandarin was that it was just it was such a jarring twist that I, I'm tired of Iron Man it always amounting to you had Obadiah who was a suit. You had the Sam Rockwell character, uh, Hammer, Mm -hmm. he's a suit. And now you have Killian Aldridge, who's also a suit, who happens to be the Mandarin. That as much as I don't have a connection to the character, I felt weirded out for a majority of of the end of the movie that when he's leaning over Iron Man and he's like, I am the Mandarin. Like in my head, I was like, no, you're not. (laughs) Like you don't, he didn't embody what that character what, I, what little I know about him, what it meant. But my biggest, my chief complaint about it is one of the, I heard one of the reasons that they didn't go like full Mandarin with it was because they didn't want to introduce magic into the Marvel Universe yet. Mm-hmm. My question to that is why not? Because they want to save it for Doctor Strange. Well, no, they're alien rings. He t- gets them from a spaceship. Well, but I'm just saying. I've, yeah, but I, it's, they're not magic. This isn't. Mm, it isn't that. This isn't yeah. mysticism. He gets ten rings from the dashboard, basically of a crashed spaceship. He's Green Lantern times ten. <laughs> I, so, I mean, is, is this still con- what's what phase of Marvel? We're from, in two right two. now. All right, this is still considered two, or this is the start, start of, of two. start of two. All right, so why not start with at least a little bit? of that stuff like you know that it that they're coming into it i just all i'm saying is i understand that they don't have to do it i understand that maybe they felt that they weren't ready but mm. i feel personally from an audience perspective that people are ready for that and i think it would have been really cool to dive into that than to have it be you know the old switch that it amounted to. I don't have necessarily have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the movie overall, regardless. I just thought it was a little strange that they felt that we were not ready to go there yet. Well, I read the thing where Shane Black said they wanted this more grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. So obviously injecting uh, amputees with mutant-making stuff is more grounded in reality and than rings from a spaceship. Why didn't the girl's face heal? If she grew back a limb and she had fire damage on her face, why didn't the extremists fix her face? I don't know, dude. That's such a <laughs> fucking... Talk about Maya? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. She may not have had the full dose. <laughs> but whatever. I mean, I mean that, that stuff, I, I, I feel like stuff I like that isn't even <laughs> worth talking about compared to like there's a... Um, I have another one for you. What? Okay. No, because it should be, it should be talked about. Um, the Avengers issue. It being a post-Avengers film with, I understand that they, I mean, they went into the whole uh, post-traumatic stress from the New York. Mm-hmm. They mention it. They bring it up a couple of times uh, quite well, I thought. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. great. But we've had other characters in these movies before that for it to feel like a true post-Avengers film, I think it would have been interesting or maybe even in the after credit sequence to kind of be like, hey, where were you guys? Or at least for Nick Fury to call into him and be like, do you got this? See, I, 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 that's the last thing I wanted to happen in the movie because 
I, I feel like when it's an Iron Man movie, it's kind of got to be an Iron Man movie. Because if you start bringing in the Avengers, then what's the point of doing the Avengers? You know, it's like... You, when you're reading, you know, when you read a Iron Man comic or when you read any singular character comic, some characters pop up sometimes, but you don't go, oh shit, ah, uh, Tony's in a mess. Where the fuck is the Hulk? You know, you don't do that. You know, you, you accept it because it's it's his his adventure, his story. And yeah, there are probably times where you could have called in a buddy to help him out. But I, somebody on Twitter, I don't know who it was, I forgot who it was, was like, anybody was asking... Uh, why he didn't call the Avengers is the same guy who always calls his dad when he gets in any kind of trouble, you know? <laughs> I just think it was interesting that they didn't even, and I'm not saying they needed to make it like a whole part of the mm. film, but even like an aside, like they had scenes that to me didn't seem necessary. The scene with him with the dude in the van talking to the guy, as funny as it was, as some people would have enjoyed it, that they had scenes like that, but there could have been like a Nick Fury kind of thing, or even just like an intercom thing inside the helmet, just, you know, got a message from the initiative, you know, they're busy, but, mm -hmm. you know, they want to know Leave that you've message. got this. We'll back and, he, and, and Tony could have like had some kind of like snarky ass remark and just, and just called it a day and that was it. But I'm not saying that the film needed it, I just think it's interesting that it didn't have that. I mean, they've been kind of pronouncing though that these movies are very much going to, to they're going to feel separate. They've got to show why they're awesome by themselves, or why they make the why why make the the character movies. You know, it's a conceit of the form in terms of comic books. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, okay, the Fantastic Four are fighting Galactus, whereas everybody else, or when the Avengers are doing something, where the Fantastic Four. Yeah. You know, why would Batman never need to do anything? Just call Superman. Just beat that guy up for me, please. <laughs> You know, every issue would end yeah. in four pages. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things you gotta buy it. I. It would have been interesting in the post credit. Yeah. If and, all of a sudden it was, why didn't you call us? Yeah. But mm -hmm. have it happen afterwards, man. Well, it would have been like it would have been cool to be like, you know, well, thanks for letting me, you know, get my ass kicked, mm -hmm. and they have something to say about it, or just I don't know, something to. If this is post-Avengers and Iron Man is now, like, we know that he's a part of that team, that they work together, they went off their separate mm -hmm. ways and so on and so forth, but they still keep in touch. It just would have, I think, would have been a nice little tie to that universe if they're, what, they're, what they're doing is building one. Not saying it was necessary, just clarifying that. <laughs> it just would have been cool. My favorite, I think my favorite thing about Iron Man 3 is that it really feels like basically a response to one line in the Avengers, which is Cap saying to Iron Man, big man in a suit, take that away, and what are you? And in, in, in this movie, he shows what that is. It's fucking awesome because he kicks ass. It's obviously yeah. that he's been training. It's when he, I love the scene where he kind of builds himself an arsenal. When he like storms that compound, mm -hmm. Love that scene. I love how James he does it. Bond. James Bond. Yeah, sense, exactly. Yeah. And I and one of my favorite moments in the entire movie, such a little moment, is when uh, Killian is burning, you know, Rhodey out of the suit, and he's like, "Don't open, don't open, don't open." He's like, "All right, fine." And he opens up, and he just like he like goes on a freaking yeah. rampage, you know. And I love those little character moments. My, uh, I wanted to mention this before. My absolute favorite moment in the film. It's very brief, but in the scene where the house gets attacked, yeah, and missile attacked, and everything. Yeah. That first explosion mm. when that hits and the scene of Tony shifting the suit onto On, Pepper. Yeah. My absolute favorite moment in the entire film because it 
encapsulates not only their relationship, how far it's grown, mm. how far Tony has grown yeah. from being, I mean, he's still a playboy, but yeah. how dedicated he is to Pepper mm. at this point in the franchise. Um, it was really, really quite a beautiful moment. And it also is another thing was the first time I saw it, I was a little uh, removed by the idea of him being outside of the suit so much. Mm-hmm. Like he's either in the suit with the faceplate off right. or he's not even wearing the suit and doing mm-hmm. all this stuff. But he said at the be- at the end of the first movie, and he says it at the end of this one, mm. where he says, I am Iron Man. And yeah. when he said that the second time, it kind of abated me and included me in that, like, you don't need the suit. Like, Tony right. Stark is Iron Man. Yeah. Which goes into yeah. question of what are they going to do after this mm. if he ends up leaving the films after Avengers 2. Right. Um, Stephanie, what did you think of, like, the, the links to the Avengers stuff and just any other thoughts you had about the movie? Um... I don't know. Like the links to the Avengers stuff. I do agree with what you said. Like the whole thing kind of seems like the one, you know, lead off from Mm. the movie. But I felt like the New York thing was never really dealt with where he has that like crippling phobia. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I get why they include that. It's like, it makes Tony a real person. He thinks he's people. (laughs) and you know all that stuff but at the same time i'm kind of like all right we've given him feelings and we've given him this crippling anxiety and we've given him nothing to really work with as far as like we're we're not going to resolve this we're just going to leave this open-ended and well what's open-ended about it what do you mean like i don't know he has this crippling anxiety that people are like, he even says people with the kid, you know, New York. And Tony's like, mm-hmm. yes, I remember the scene. Harley was his name. Yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, well, you're kind of rich. You think maybe some therapy might help with that? Well, Stephanie, gets, come on. Well, he, like, get, he does get that at the end. He does get that at the end, but <laughs> come know, on. But like, no, Give me some real criticisms. Give me well, some I, talk about them. Yeah, I, I got, me, I got nothing me, on this. There's little I, things like that. I will like, amplify. Why bother to include it? Well, here's to me. I, I agree to a point. When you see them, uh, he uh, he and Rhodey in the diner, mm. and he, he, he has to leave, and he's, yeah. he can't even move when he's outside. Yeah. And then when you're playing it with the kid early on, great. Mm. And he's going to learn something from this kid whose father's left. He's yeah. going He's going to get past it. And we don't have the resolution of that mm. is, yeah, is like, my problem with that. Doing it just, is great. Finish it off or it's a process. It disappears. Mm. It doesn't ha- it doesn't recur. There wasn't coming like down a the scene end. of closure. Yeah. yeah I like, think is what, what Steph's getting okay. at. Thank you. Uh, yes, it is. Because like, he has this crippling anxiety and you know they make a point to be like, it's like his kryptonite for the first half of the film. And then it's just like, well, we've forgotten that this com- exists at all. No resolution. End of story. I think that they're they're just they're through his actions and through through his conviction to be Iron Man. You're supposed to just accept that he's over it. I just think that that because it wasn't necessarily punctuated. There wasn't a specific scene mm-hmm. for him having that resolution and him closing the book on it. That it kind of left people feeling like it was a little bit open ended. Right. Um, that's what I would assume. Okay. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. 
people <clears throat> need those things, man. <laughs> I mean, at the like, end of the Avengers day, it is an called. action movie, and I recognize that. Um, you know, but if you're going to bill it as an action movie and kind of play it off as just, you know, that, then, I mean, what's the point in giving... I mean, this is being really... I don't quite mean this, but let me just say it and I'll work from there. You know, like what's the point in giving the character dimensions if you're going to not work through them? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, and I do agree. But I don't think they really resolve and they don't have that scene that punctuates the PTSD uh, factor of, of that relationship. But that not having that scene, I, I, I doesn't mean I don't want that stuff in in the rest of the movie. You he know, almost kills Pepper, and like nothing happens. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, he has a dream, and he almost strangles Pepper to death through the Iron Man suit, and it's just like, what ifs? Well, I'm sleeping downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, he's dealing with. I mean, what do you, you want? What do you want? Like Pepper to call the police on him? And no, but at the same time, like again, I, I'm. This is, again, I'm just being repetitive, but what's the point in giving him that stuff if you're not going to work through it? Okay, I, I, I know, and, I, and I'm not saying that's not a weakness of the movie script, but, but what I'm saying is those scenes, I, I think, still add shade to his character, and whether or not he's over it or not, who knows if in Avengers 2 he's still not going to be dealing with whatever happens here. We, you know, we don't know that for, for, for sure. Uh, you do want to see the arc complete. No, I, and I know that. The movie, and and I'm not saying you know. I'm not I'm not giving the movie a pass on that. I think that is an issue with with, with the movie. Um, I know a lot of people have an issue with the uh, you know him saying he's cured Pepper in like one line or saved her life. He didn't say he cured her. He said he saved her life. People are like, oh, that's horrible. Like, why wouldn't you show him doing it? How easy could it be? But he even speaks about how he solved it. On the back of an index card. When he was drunk, you know, 10 years ago. And all you'd get, if you think about it, all you'd get was a scene where Tony plays with his computer thing, he's moving stuff with his hands, he's throwing stuff in the garbage, he's putting molecules together. We've already seen that scene. It's a lot to me like in Mission Impossible 3, where Tom Cruise goes into the building to get the rabbit's foot, and they don't show it. They just show him jumping back out of the, you know, out of the building. We've already seen that scene happen. I don't need to see it again. I believe Tony Stark could could do it. You know, so... I don't need to say again. Sorry, go ahead, Stephanie. Can I bring up like something that's sort of off topic to uh, the kind of ranting about the movie for on my part? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So someone pointed this out to me. I went to see the movie with Bill and his friend Brad on Friday. And um, so he, Brad pointed out that um, the Asian man that he meets in the 1999 flashback um, is the same guy. He thinks it's the same guy from the first movie that's in the cave with him. It is, yeah. Hey, that's um we didn't watch like rewatch the first one or anything, so I wasn't entirely sure, but in the cave he says something along the lines of we've met once before briefly or something. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a neat little callback to that. Yeah, it was a really so, cool tie in. Yeah. Uh, that's how I do to that. that See props. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Jensen. Dr. Holy Jensen, yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Did you not realize that either? <laughs> I saw it I twice and I didn't pick up on that. And yeah. I watched Iron Man one the other day. Oh. Where yeah. am I? <laughs> so I just thought that was a neat thing that they kind of pointed out and tied it back together to the first one because there's I, I like those little intric- intricacies mm. that kind of, you know, play on the other films where the filmmaker clearly, you know I mean, 
ideally you want the filmmaker to have seen the other movies and to have some knowledge of the comics and such, but it's nice to know that they were paying attention and they can kind of add in those little things to reward people who were paying close attention. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there was like a, there was more, a lot more thematic <laughs> ties and stuff to the other two movies than I really expected there to be. Uh, and I it's, loved all that bondish stuff that we were talking about before. So, I have a I nitpicky Rebecca question. Rebecca Hall was great too. Rebecca Hall was she's a smaller role, yeah. but she she was very good. Yeah, absolutely. I was right. surprised. I didn't actually know she was in it because I I try to avoid IMDb right now for mm-hmm. because you know even looking at the IMDb cast list can be spoilery. It's true. These sure. days. It's true. So I try to avoid that a lot, and I didn't know she was in the movie, and I was pleasantly surprised by her presence in yeah. it. Well, Guy Pierce was a little tricksy. He was like, I'm not in the movie that much. That's what he kept saying before he came out. <laughs> Liar. He's a tricksy rabbit. Yes. <laughs> Same. Uh, question for the group. How long do you think it takes to hack an Iron Man or Iron Patriot suit? I don't know. Okay. They made it. Though. They, the Iron Patriot suit, they made. They right, so made they t- it. They take the suit away. from. This is more just a, a little bit of a gripe. I'm, just, I'm getting a little tired of seeing everybody wear the Iron Man suit. Mm-hmm. The president wears it. Uh, the the no name. Well, the president doesn't willingly wear. It. Yeah, no. <laughs> but like the, like, the uh, Aldridge wears it. His henchman that never got a name unless there was one, and I missed it. Did he have a name? The blonde he, shaved head dude. I'm not sure. I mean, he must have had a name. Yeah. But right. derp. Oh yeah, I forget what his name is. I did actually. <laughs> pay, I paid close attention to this because I wanted to know what the actor's name was because he looked familiar to me. Uh huh. Mm. And now I can't remember. All right. Well, again, this is just me being me and me picking on stuff I don't necessarily need to pick on. But if Tony Stark is supposed to be like one of the smartest men on the planet, correct? Yes. Okay. Don't you think that he would have better safety protocols and firewalls and God knows what else on these suits? Well, who hacks the Iron Man suit? No one hacks the Iron Man suit. No, but that's the thing. But the... War Machine or Iron Patriot, as it is now, is based off of I think the the Mark II model from the first one. Yeah, but they say in the movie that AIM, AIM. is the people who did all the upgrades and mm-hmm. the operating system for the suit. Ah, oh. so they built their own yeah. way yeah. in. They okay. built their own way into um, it. Yeah, I right, do then. actually. Feeding off of that point, though, that's another gripe for me. Um, as far as Pepper Potts goes, you know, she's been so distant from what tony does with iron man and so against it and then it's kind of like oh and now i magically know how to use the suit with no training whatsoever to to be fair she did falter with the suit quite a bit yeah uh, when she well, first until the strapped end, it on. when she magically becomes a fucking ninja well she was a fucking ninja what yeah the <laughs> fucking ninja would know how to work an iron man suit <laughs> <laughs> she's also super powered at that point yeah yeah she's, got, awesome. she's got infamous powers her abs were amazing <laughs> she does have some nice abs uh yeah no uh <laughs> i i i you know i really liked that um the the rescue scene out of, out of the airplane i thought was what was you know a great scene because it, it didn't involve any violence it was all about saving and yeah. i thought that was a good change for uh what was going on and then uh, that action scene at the end you know i I kind of, it's again, it's a lot of Iron Man suits, but I like how they kind of resolve that at the end, how they pay that off, how he destroys all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like he's saying what people are thinking, which has gotten a little ridiculous with all the suits and how I use it. So we're going to get rid of that. But well, we got to see the Hulkbuster. Oh, we did get to see the yeah. Hulkbuster. I, I, was, I was hoping he'd call it that. 
just just you know um i thought something he'd wear it at one point you know and do some crazy stuff but well, um one thing i will say suit wise and I, I said this both the first and second time seeing it i will never ever ever get tired of the special effects of watching that suit go on to someone's body yeah, yeah. when he's leaping from suit to suit yeah and it's like you know morphing its way around him yeah i love that yeah i absolutely love that i love the the jarvis moment where he just goes, gentlemen, and then he, he turns yeah. into all the different pieces and like destroys yeah, yeah, a, a yeah. whole bunch of them. I really love that stuff a lot. How come he doesn't see the missiles coming? I don't know. <laughs> How come I mean, he doesn't send an Iron Man suit to grab Pepper before she falls? <laughs> and, and how fast and how since now we're really really nitpicky, <laughs> how fast do those parts fly from California to Florida? I know he 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 he, he like calculate it in his brain though that's a that bit, was it's, funny though, that whole scene but i love the dude that's like yo man he's like i these guys are weird yeah. i don't even want to work here anymore yeah. can i just go yeah um that was it, the biggest laugh for me uh, you know uh, and all that stuff i just had so much fun watching the movie when it comes down to it that it overrides a lot of the nitpicks because for me my whole philosophy about these movies in general and move most movies in general is that I don't really think there are, there's any movies without flaws. I just think there are movies that are good enough where you don't care about the flaws. You, you know what I mean? And for me, that's this movie was on that level for me personally. I just I didn't I I, I recognize a lot of the flaws you guys point out, and I think they're very very valid. But when watching the movie, I just didn't care about them. You my, know what uh, I mean? My friend's uh, mother, Marnie, she saw saw the film with us. And I we were in the parking lot. We always discuss the films that we see together. You know, afterwards, and I'm bringing up all these little things, all these little nitpicks. And she goes, "Hey, Steve, I'm like, what's up?" She goes, "Shut up!" And I'm like, "What?" And she's like, "I just want to have fun. I had fun. Shut up!" And so I had to keep my mouth shut. It was awesome. That's really funny. That's really really funny. All right, so before we wrap this discussion up, any, anybody have anything else they want to say about the movie before we move on? Go see it. Uh, I love John Favreau doing Vincent Vega. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, that's great stuff. I was actually, um, speaking of John Favreau, I was actually really disappointed that he wasn't in it more because I think he's such a great part of the movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... I thought he was fun. Maybe he lost yeah. his badge and couldn't get back onto the set. Or, you know, I, yeah. I feel like it's probably the just as much as he's been. He's not really in the other ones that much. Uh, but Yeah, I know. But at the same time, they've made a really good character out of him. And um, I enjoyed his presence. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. Get down. Now, <laughs> I'm in, okay. In, in the comics, he gets plenty of time to wear the armor. Yeah, he does, right? Yeah. Uh, Bad things happen. Mm-hmm. He gets turned into a monster by... <laughs> the mandarin oh at one point all right so like swap armor swapping is a thing that happens in the iron man comics like a lot well, a bunch of people have worn it i know that yeah because yeah. he uh, stops being iron man for a while mm-hmm. i think well and then Rhodey takes over for a while and, and when right. his heart is bad back in the old maybe days. i yeah. need to read more iron man before I, I make certain judgments based on some of the stuff i definitely want to read more as well i mean uh the great thing about having that marvel unlimited thing i do i want to just start reading the fraction stuff well that's what i was gonna get uh when i was in canada they had uh for 20 bucks they had like the premium hardcover the first 20 issues oh cool I really wanted to get it. Yeah. And now I'm You're allowed to say like Ontario or something, by the way, or London, because Canada's pretty vast. All right. <laughs> London Ontario Heroes London is the comic book store. Wonderful comic book store. I recommend it. <laughs> so Heroes Comics and Silver Snail if you're in the Toronto area. It is really rad. All right. Yeah. I will be there tomorrow or today. Time travel. 
<laughs> Both in about an hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, and just the post credit sequence with Mark Ruffalo. I love seeing those two guys working together. He's gone very gray. He has. He has <laughs> gone very gray. Gained a little bit of weight too. I don't know. A little bit. He always looks kind of normal guy to me. Maybe because yeah. it was he was slouching. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I like uh, Mark Ruffalo. Sit up, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Fix your posture. Your carrots. Yeah. He looked like he like had just flown in. Yeah. He was there for a total of twenty minutes. Yeah. Probably. Left. It probably was you know, a couple hours at the most. Guys, come on, let's do this. I got a thing. Uh, but it yeah. certainly ties together. You know, Tony's been telling the story all along. Yeah. And now which you see I like. who he's telling the story to. It's it's just yeah. hysterical. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's our review of Iron Man three. Let us know what you think. Info at talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, if you're going to talk about the movie in any spoiler fashion, that's where you want to do it. Uh, general impressions, you can at Talking Comics or Facebook.com slash Talking Comics. Um, so before we move on to listener questions, uh, we're talking about a big action movie. And there's a person who passed away uh, this week who, without whom these big action movies wouldn't exist. So, Bob, why don't you tell us? Yeah, it's today, as a matter of fact, Ray Harryhausen. Uh who didn't create stop-motion animation, but for generations of us certainly codified what that meant to spectacle and film with the Sinbad movies, the original Clash of the Titans, monster movies like Beast from 20,000 Fathoms that came from beneath the sea. Every one of the, the guys that make the sort of movies we all love, whether it's Spielberg or Lucas or Jim Cameron or Peter Jackson, all acknowledge their debt to what Ray Harryhausen did through the 50s and 60s and 70s. And for the most part, he was working alone. It was one guy in a studio with little models, moved a frame at a time that took weeks to do a, a sequence. Um, he began, born in 1920, so he had a, a heck of a run here. Mm-hmm. He saw King Kong at Grauman's Chinese Theater in 1933 with his mom and his aunt and decided he needed to make movies. And actually got to meet Willis O'Brien, created King Kong, and he brought his models with him and showed him some of the... He was making movies at 15 in his Mm. backyard, cutting up his mom's fur coat to make cave bears and woolly mammoths and whatever. And uh, O'Brien said to him, well, your stegosaurus looks pretty good, but the legs look like sausages. You should maybe go study anatomy. (laughs) And Harryhausen went to art school and took pre-med anatomy courses and learned how to draw. If you see his artwork... It is just incredibly detailed, very Gustav Dore, very black and white and sketchy with pencils, just gorgeous stuff. And those movies that he made through all that time period set into motion everything we look at now. It, those special effects were his the CGI of, of that period. Mm-hmm. On top of everything else, he was just a lovely, generous man. I met him at Icon here, uh, gee, many, many years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. And he spent so much time just talking to fans, signing everything anyone put in front of him. Whatever you'd mentioned, he had a story to tell. I'm sitting here looking at the picture he signed for me. It's from a, uh, a display in a museum in Berlin, a film museum, with all these little models. He walked into a room. I'm going long, but we're so long now anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, one, of the, one of the panels that day was you know, Ray Harryhausen and Appreciation. It was set in some little classroom that would have sat about 20 people. And we all thought it was going to be just, well, us, the fans. It was like between two of his big talks. And there was the fellow who was handling him the whole weekend, sitting in the front of the room. He went, well, uh, glad somebody showed up here because uh, we have a surprise. Because once Ray gets off the phone to his wife, who's in England, he'll be up here any second now. 
So it'll be just us and him. He walks into the room with a suitcase filled with these models and puts them on the, the lab table. And we all got to touch and play with the skeleton from Jason and the Argonauts and dinosaurs. Oh, wow. And so I, I was, you know, 45 years old and I was eight years old all over <laughs> again. That's awesome. And just, again, just an amazingly lovely man and just did such great work for so many years. And, uh, you know, go put on a Sinbad movie tonight. Go watch the real Clash of the Titans and knock yourself out. Was it a different time? It seems simpler now than it was then, uh, but it is still spectacular to watch. That's great, so, Bob. Yeah. It's very nice. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Clash of the Titans is definitely a seminal movie when I was a kid. I used to watch that movie all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Release Absolutely. the Kraken. <laughs> Um, there he is. Whoop, right in the picture. <laughs> I need a good like Blu-ray set of his stuff. They should do that. They, they have do done some of them. Yeah, Ooh. not yeah. all of them. Well, maybe now, maybe now they'll they'll put yeah. something together. <laughs> Capitalize on his passing. Absolutely, vampires. <laughs> all right, ahead. so yeah. let's, yeah. let's move on move to on. Uh, a listener questions. Uh, this is from John D. He says, "Hey all." I'm sure some of you will be sending this in last week, so I'm sure someone will be talking about Jupiter's legacy this week on the show. So I was wondering how the Talking Comics crew feels about the title not available day and date digitally. There was a lot of outcry on Twitter about this, suggesting that Jupiter's legacy would sell a lot better if it were available from Comixology. Do you agree? Now, this comes out of the fact that Mark Millar uh, has come out very strongly against digital. It was a couple, of, uh, I think last year at some point, said he wouldn't put them day and date digital. It's, you know... He doesn't want a vampire from the retailers. He doesn't, you know, he, he feels like more people will go out to the stores to buy the book if it's not available digitally. So this is where where this come from. Come froms. <laughs> no more speech. Uh, Bob, you, you don't buy books digitally. But, so kind of outside perspective, what do you think of it not being available? Well, I, I love the stand he's taking. Mm. Uh, I just don't know that it's the one to take at this point. Right. There are so many people who may not get his book now. Mm with so few stores mm. i think you almost have to maybe it's not maybe it's a week later G- give it a, a cushion mm-hmm. you know for me i i feel it just it feels weird to me because it's it's like he's fighting a battle against the wrong enemy it it, it shouldn't be it, he's making a comics versus comics you know, he's saying people who buy it digitally are somehow less deserving to read his book than people who go in and buy it physically. And it harkens back into this, uh, the Amanda Palmer thing where she talks about not how do we force people to buy our music, how do we get people to buy our music, how do we make people want to buy it. You know, if you want to incentivize people going to stores and give extra on top of the book, you know, maybe... Whether it's what you know, it's what Brubaker and Sean Phillips do in their Fatal books, right? The text pieces afterwards, or yeah. Extra artwork, extra sure. artwork, and, and like you know, like diaries and whatever that you can only get if you go to the store and you buy it. You know, the the month it comes out, that that's that single issue. That's the way to do it because you, that gets people to go, okay, I'll, I'll buy it instead of doing it. Because I don't think there's anyone. If someone bought all their books digitally, first of all, they probably wouldn't know that Jupiter's Legacy even came out. And two, they, I don't think, I don't think, if I was buying all my books digitally, and I was like, oh, this one book is available, only available in the stores for a month, I would, I wouldn't go to the store just to buy this one book, you know what I mean? I would just wait, and then it would probably get lost in the shuffle, I probably wouldn't remember it a month when it came out, and then you, you're losing, you're, then you're losing readers, you know? 
And so I, I feel like it's just a, a bad maneuver. I mean, Steve, I, don't, I know you don't, we've talked about this many times, you don't get pushed digitally, but what do you think of this move? I think what you just said hit it on the nose. Um, all of it. Really? Okay. Um, I think it's unfortunate that people weren't able to experience it the same time as everyone mm-hmm. else. Because it also, um, it promotes, I don't want to say negative conversation about the book, but it definitely promotes a divided mm-hmm. conversation about the book. Whereas you're eliminating an entire audience that was going to purchase your book, had all intention of purchasing it uh, digitally. And wants to get in on, you know, the hubbub online and with their groups of friends. Maybe they have friends online that read comics. They go to an LCS while they get all their stuff digitally because they work during the Mm -hmm. day and they don't have the time. And they're like, oh, man, did you get Jupiter's Legacy? Like, no. that's Yeah, yeah, no, that's weird. Like, hold on. And Mm -hmm. then they go and they check and it's not there. Yeah. And it's like, shit. It's like, well, you know, I can't make it to the store until Saturday and this weekend I got a thing mm-hmm. and then that completely removes them from the equation yeah and uh, I just think business-wise that it's a strange decision in today's comic book market like you said comics versus comics mm. I don't necessarily think that taking a stand or making it not available making it available to one and not the other is the smartest way to get readers into your book, especially the first issue. Because mm-hmm. that's where you want to grab them. And personally, I loved Jupiter's Legacy. I thought it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to talk to somebody who I really value their opinion on comics, but I know they buy digitally, and they're like, well, I'm going to have to wait a month to give you my opinion. Right. I'd be like, well, that sucks. Yeah. So. And and one of the things that, uh, that Joey Esposito was talking about on IGN Assemble was you know, guess what, Mark? It is available digitally. Now they just won't pay you for it. Somebody will just steal it, you know, and, th- and th- not promoting piracy, but if somebody wants to get the book on their on their iPad, they can do it, you know? Would you rather them pay you for it or rather than steal it? And some, we talked about this, no one should steal books, but you're promoting it in a lot of ways because you're, you're making it harder for someone to get something. And in this day and age, negatively, people, if it's easier to take it, people will take it, you know? And... and I just think it hurts the industry in a, in a lot of ways. Um, all right, uh, moving on. Uh, this is from Logan, who I believe Bob has been conversing with via email. Logan and his brother Joni, yes, yeah. sir. Uh, Logan says, I want to read Marvel. I've been picking up a few back issues of Amazing Spider-Man, One More Day, and Brand New Day, volumes one through three, and I've picked up all the Hawkeye stuff because you guys talk about it all the time, and I'm loving both of them. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> I also pick up Hickman's FF collection, volume one. I want... <laughs> He, he wants to read X-Men and Avengers, but can't afford to read all the books. Where should I start? What run should I read? Love the podcast. You guys are awesome. So obviously you shared with him some things. Oh, yeah. Now, so I, I, I did mention to him that Rob would be the guy to talk about Spidey. Right, yeah. But, you know, he was doing Brand New Day and One New Day. Mm. So I said, okay, that pretty much leads yeah. you into where you're going. Yes. Um, talked about House of M with him just because of how important it is, though mm. I'm not thrilled with how that all went right. and what it, it all yeah. led to. Um Certainly, uh, he sent me a letter just before I left, which I haven't gone to answer yet. So <laughs> who can answer both ways? Mm. Certainly, if you're looking for jumping on points, looking at the uh, Fraction FF and Fantastic Four, which the first trade came out and is the blended three issues of each, yeah. is certainly a great way to see where that's going. Mm-hmm. And it isn't necessary, really, to have read the Hickman 
moving into this. As right. long as you no. sort of know who Reed and Sue and mm. Ben and Johnny are and their kids, you're going to be pretty good to go. He's already getting some of that mm. yeah. backstory there. Uh, what would you guys say for X-Men and Avengers uh, at this point? For Avengers, I would say the Children's Crusade. Chunky is, is a good is a good place to jump by. You don't really need to know. You're you're definitely going to be in in bed with a lot of characters who you don't know. But I, I think that if you just go along with it, you'll be fine. Well, I think if you wanna if you wanna move into into present day stuff, yeah, absolutely. That if you know, sometimes the present day is much easier to get your hands on. That uh, or if you're looking to collect something month by month or biweekly or whatever mm-hmm. that is, that um, that's a really great place to start from. Yeah, I mean, I'd say for X Men, obviously the Marvel Now stuff, I think you can jump onto pretty easily. Uh, you might want to have read. Obviously, we don't talk very highly of AVX, but you know that stuff definitely leads into what happens in the X books that happen now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that twelve part series and then into what we have now, I, I think you'd probably be fine. Uh, I, I think X Men uh, Schism in into uh, Uncanny when it started when it restarted at one again a couple of years ago and Wolverine and the X Men I think you know those runs which I think are you know eighteen or nineteen issues long each which Schism which is the mini series where you can get collected uh, I think th- that's quality stuff that's a little bit newer probably easier to get uh, you can probably find pretty good deals on those trades uh, when it comes yeah. to checking Amazon well and he's going to do a lot of stuff digitally. He's okay. Yeah. The, the newer stuff digitally because it's certainly yeah. And he, but he wants to go way back too. So we're right. just buying trades on some of the yeah. earlier stuff. And if he's doing digitally, I mean, if listen, if you really want to own something, I totally understand that. But sign up for the Marvel Unlimited thing. It's either, either try it for a month, pay ten bucks, spend a month, check it out. They got a ton of old stuff. They got full runs. You know, if you, if you read something you really love, then go out and buy that trade. You know, but I think if you're really looking to get in that Marvel stuff, I think that's a great way to get in. Like the Fraction Iron Man stuff is all on there. Is it really? Yeah. You know, uh. so <laughs> that saves you a lot of money. And if you and if you go crazy for it, you maybe you keep reading from the Marvel Now stuff that's happening now, or you go back and you buy older trades or whatever you're going to do to fill out your collection. But try that out because if you're really looking to dive in, it's it's a really good place to go. And they do some cool stuff there, like they feature stuff every week. So last last week they were featuring Ultron stuff, and they they give you like a a kind of you know kind of census of, of Ultron stories throughout the years, like the first Ultron story, mm, and then back you know. in fifty seven, yeah. So they do cool stuff like that. So that, if you're looking to get into Marvel, I'd say definitely check uh, cool. that out. Word word up. Um, I think for the third year in a row, I'm going to ask for money for Christmas so I can attempt <laughs> to get an iPad again. Nice. Uh, this is from Ben. It's more of a uh, more of a statement than a question, but hey, guys, I thought I would help out with some discussions that have come up in past episodes. There's been some talk about alternatives to downloading torrents, as well as the extremely high price of the book Rachel Rising on Amazon. I've recently started using the website InStockTrades.com and purchased the first volume of Rachel Rising last night for $11.89. Wow. Nice. <clears throat> the prices are usually similar to Amazon, but for books like this, it's a great option. I hope this helps. So that's InStockTrades.com. Circling that as Thank we you, speak. Thank you, Ben. Yes, thank yeah, you very much. Rachel Rising. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Everybody's on the train now. Yeah. <laughs> no. Next over, Bob. If you read it, you would be. <laughs> um... This, this is from Rob, and he says, Hey, team, hopefully Stephanie is back to tackle this question since, hey, it, since, it, since it involves the female perspective, but it's generally for all of you. I've recently convinced my wife to read Saga, and she really likes it. I'm a Cape and Mutants guy, and I don't read too much outside of that genre aside from Saga. I was wondering where to suggest 
her to go next. Her tastes in reading are anything from Twilight to Wuthering Heights to Harry Potter. She loves a great story and is pretty open. I've heard you suggest Rachel Rising and Morning Glories. Should I start there? Can um, I make a see? Well, let's Stephanie go first. It was oh, directed whoa, towards her. Oh, ladies first. Yeah. Wow. Whatever. I had a near-death experience. Yeah, she, a spider. I know, guys, sorry. They're going to eat your face. A spider, this, the biggest spider I've ever seen in Canada just decided to like hover above my pillow, and I freaked the fuck out. <laughs> So I had to disappear, and anyways, I'm back. All right. True story. It's a spider anyways, the size no of comment. a Buick. It's got babies. You know. <laughs> um, Morning Glories, I definitely, I mean, I think we all know near the later issues, I kind of fell off it a bit, but the first couple of volumes, at the very least, are amazing, and I do highly recommend them. If I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember if you said it was your wife or your girlfriend. Wife. Wife. Okay, wife. Um, If she's a fan of Lost, um. I definitely think that Morning Glories would be something completely up her alley. Um, it's a great series, and I mean, Nick Spencer and Joe Isma are fantastic. Um, something that, you know, maybe a, a non comic reader could really get into. Um, and for anyone who is familiar with me, like as far as my work goes outside of here, Please know that this comes with no bias whatsoever because I was a massive, massive fan of Fables long before I ever worked with Bill. But Fables is a fantastic series for um, anyone to jump onto, but especially women. Um, it's written, I mean, there's a lot of characters that you're already familiar with from fairy tales. So it doesn't take a lot of um, background to really jump onto. Um, and. It's just a really great series that highlights a lot of those characters that we've all grown up with. And um, I think it's, I mean, going to conventions and such, I know that it's a big, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Words. It's very popular, especially among women and people who don't typically read a lot of comics. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to get her into it, there's a lot of, I mean, I think they're almost at... 127 128 as yeah. far as issues go and there's about 18 trades of it mm -hmm. so there's a lot for her to kind of pick up and carry carry on with mm -hmm. try oh i am not making any sense <laughs> this spider really yeah. shook up my world <laughs> maybe get superpowers uh, let him bite you mm -hmm. no he's scary <laughs> his leg is still above my bed like a warning to the other spiders <laughs> But anyways, um, truly, Fables is fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. Rachel Rising is another comic that I think anyone could pick up. But um, I don't know if it would be the best choice for a new reader. Um, I can't really say why. I, I just, I don't know. Bobby, as far as Rachel Rising goes? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it would be the book I'd put in somebody's hands if they weren't reading any comics. Right. You know, I, I think it definitely has broad appeal, but uh, well, I think, A, even though this is proved wrong, uh, but I think it's more the exception than the rule by The Walking Dead, I think the black and white art will put people off who are not comic book fans right off the bat. You know, I, I think that you need to kind of work up to that because it's not initially, I think, pleasing to general audiences to look at something that's black and white. It's why they don't make black and white movies. You know, it's and it's not inferior in any way. It's gorgeous, gorgeous looking book. But I think it holds less of that wow visual appeal that I think hooks in uh, new readers of both 
you know, genders every way. I, I mean, we talked about these books before, but Lock and Key, you know. Well, the thing is, I'm kind of running this experiment on our friend Jackie right now. Yeah. And I just kind of give her books, I think, that would work. And so uh, I gave her Lock and Key, and she went crazy for it. Uh, Morning Glories, like we talked about. Uh, American Vampire, I gave her as well, and, and she really, really loved that. Uh, I think Fables is a good one because that that whole idea is so prescient in pop culture right now. This... Mm. You know, this fairy tales in the real world thing is is everywhere right now. And so I think it would, that is something that could really you know, light yeah, a fire. I mean, yeah. it's been around for 11 years as yeah. of this month now. And mm-hmm. I, truly, I again, I speak without bias when I say that it's one of my favorite series ever. Mm-hmm. And I think Bill's convinced that I don't actually read it. <laughs> but like, it's fantastic. And same with Ferris, the spinoff series. Um it's another book that's fairly new. I think the 15th issue just came out and you can hop on at the 15th issue because it's a brand new arc with brand new characters that have never been in the series before for the most part, no spoilers. And you can just hop on there. And I think it would be something that you can enjoy. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of Batgirl, Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl. Um, I gave this series to my friend Amy, who doesn't really read comics at all, and she was just like, I swear to God, she grabbed my shirt and was like, where is there more? (laughs) And I was like, that's it. They canceled this after that. She was like, why? (laughs) And there was like this really dramatic, you know, angst. (laughs) And it's, it's one of those series that you don't need a lot of background on to kind of jump into, but it gives if she's interested in learning more about the superhero world, it's a really great jumping on point for someone to kind of, you know, be introduced to like DC and the Batman universe and be like, where can I learn about more of these characters? Mm. And especially for women, um, it's a great series and there's three volumes. A couple of them, albeit are really hard to find because DC discontinued them, but, um, really great nonetheless. Absolutely. Steve, you had a couple you wanted to... to... Uh, Yeah, I've got two suggestions. Um, I've been with my girlfriend since the start of the new year, and she's always been very geeky. She read comics as as a kid and in her, you know, early teens, but then she kind of fell away from it for a little while. And since her and I have been together, I've kind of reinvigorated her love for the medium. And one of the series that I immediately tried on her and she fell in love with it is Jim McCann's Mind the Gap. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. It is very, very engaging. And what it is is essentially a not a murder mystery because the the woman involved in the mystery is not dead, but she might as well be because she's in a coma and she can essentially astral project herself into other bodies to help her solve the crime. Mm-hmm. It's very much a whodunit. It's expertly written, very, very intriguing, uh, very fast-paced, and every issue ends with little clues as to what to look for so you can try and figure out the mystery together. And this month, May 22nd, is actually the reveal of what's been going on since the first issue. I am overly excited mm-hmm. at the prospect of finding out uh, who the assailant is. I'll call it that. And the other... Um, series that I want to recommend, and I'm sure Bob would agree to this, is Tom Zoller's Love and Capes. Absolutely just a wonderful slice you of stole life. stole one of mine, but okay, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> not one of yours? Uh, no, I was going to oh, use it. Oh, oh, go, 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 go. Um, I have another one. It's, I it's, agree. 
it's superhero-y. I mean, you said that, you know, you like the, the superhero, the cape stuff. It's love and capes. It's romance and it's capes. It's superheroes. It's superheroes living as close to real lives as they can. Them dealing with the hardships of everyday human life. Um, their loved ones don't have powers. They do. There are lots and lots of funny uh, mirrors to other things that you've seen in comics, Batman, Superman, villains throughout history. And it's just a very, very fun series that you could read together. And I, I think being a married couple, I think you'd get a lot out of it. Yep, Awesome. Uh, so what I'm left with, that was a good pick, though. Yeah. Only because I was going to say it, too. That made, uh, made up for my Habibi review, which I watched horribly. Uh, and on that one, the last trade just came out when he was on the show with us. So yes, you, you're complete with that yeah. for now. Uh, the one I'm going to suggest is something that's a combination of all the things that have been discussed. Here it comes. I'm burying the lead a little. <laughs> um, but it is uh, superhero, but not. It's a murder mystery, and it's supernatural all at once. And it has a female lead character. What <gasps> is it, Bob? But is, wait, there's more. There, there can't be much more than that. Um, the, the collected trade should be out fairly soon. It's Kelly Sue DeConnick and Phil Noto's Ghost. Hey. I concur. So <laughs> you, you get a little bit of everything. It'd be something for you, something for her. And it again, eventually you, she'll sort of be a superheroine, but not mm. really. But nice little mystery and some scary stuff, too. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Can I throw in one more, please? Absolutely. Please, please. Speaking of ghosts. Okay, Anya's Ghost by Vera Brosgol. Yes. Um, this is a one-off story. It's just a little graphic novel, and it is wonderful. I've talked about this on the show, I believe, like probably like about a year ago now. Wow. Um, and it's fantastic. It's super. I think it's pretty easy to find at this point in time, either at like mm -hmm. used bookstores or at your so, local, like Barnes and Noble and stuff too. Yeah, exactly. It's everywhere, and I mean. It's not something that, you know, they keep in vast quantities, but it's a really great comic, um, well-written, beautiful art, and it's just such a fun story that has really fun twists and turns. Um, both you and your wife, I swear to God, will enjoy it. I don't want to say much more. It's called Anya's Ghost. Just look it up and buy it. I swear to God, it's amazing. That's a lot of swearing to God. <laughs> yeah. I swear on this. Well, no. On I the spider. Swear on the, the spider. Life, but I already killed him. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I, I keep telling I you, he's like got kids. I would like to say that I'm one of those people that frees the spiders, but the panic kind of takes over. Mm. I have weird shit to turn up in my apartment. Can we flash Snakes. back to that time when a freaking snake crawled into my room? Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Dear Lord. I kind of, my rule is kind of, if it comes into my bedroom area, it's pretty much forfeit its life oh i got, i have a, i have a rule you can hang out but yeah. if you fly in my face yeah or you go near my ear and i can hear you in my ear you're done yeah totally spiders you want to lurk in the corners of my room we are cool you go near my bed and shit's gonna get real i love like, it when i get like yellow jackets inside my windowsills oh my and i go at them with some kind of an aerosol oh right. there was a snake in my room <laughs> All right. But you handled him with Tupperware and brought him outside. Did. And then yeah. I got kind of attached to him once he was in the Tupperware and completely non threatening. 
She put his head as a as a trophy on her door to keep out snakes. Let us <laughs> be a lesson to the rest of you. Yeah. Tacked him to the door. Yeah. I was kind to him. I named him. What, what did you name him? I can't remember. Mr. Wiggles. Yeah. Actually, I feel like it might have been something along those lines, like Sir Wigglester. Wigglestur. Sir Wiggles a lot. Surprise. <clears throat> <laughs> so back on the ranch. Yeah. Uh, so. That's that's gonna be it for our listener questions for today. Uh, yeah, thank we, you guys for writing that, in. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple more that we'll get to next week. And again, guys, send them in info at talkingcomicbooks.com at talkingcomics on Twitter and facebook.com slash talkingcomics. We have a couple more that we need to get to next week, but we'll don't worry, guys. We will get to all of your questions uh, eventually. After all, we're the biz. Yeah, we are the biz. Uh, <laughs> when I'm not freaking out about spiders and things, I'm sorry yes. that took up time. <laughs> it's all right. It's totally okay. Um, so let's talk about what's on the shelves right now from our, oh my K- God, what <laughs> spiders, uh, <laughs> from our KA entertainment. We have Mumbai confidential volume one. We've got from Archie. We've got Jughead's double digest. Number one ninety two. life with Archie. Number 29 Ooh. mega man. Number 25 and Sonic super special magazine. Number seven. Uh Oh, my! I can't believe that there's still an audience for Sonic the Hedgehog. There is. I've heard good things, but it just blows my mind that he's still relevant. Mm-hmm. It could be the new My Little Pony, and you're, he you're needs denigrating. a good video game. Yeah, that's never going to happen. There hasn't been a good video game in Sonic in like 20 years. Uh, a big summer movie, maybe. <laughs> uh, from Aspen Comics, we have Fathom Volume 4, number 9. Uh, Legend of the Shadow Clan, number 4. Uh, we talked about Fathom a little bit in the Free Comic Book Day thing, and one of our listeners wrote it on Facebook and basically said... You know, they were kind of disappointed that we didn't know what it was. Apparently, it was a huge, be a huge series. Yeah, back in the. Yeah, I didn't know days, that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that at all. So Michael Turner. Yeah, Michael Turner. Yeah, Bob knows. There you go, listener. Bob knows. <laughs> <Take that. laughs> didn't read it, but I yeah. know what it was. Uh, from Avatar Press, we have Ferals number fourteen, Uber number one. Um, from Boom Studios, we have Bravest Warriors number eight. We've got. Uh, Grace Randolph Superbia number seven. Um, from Dark Horse, we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer season nine number twenty one. Mm. We've got Creepy Comics number twelve. Great uh, cover. Yeah, it is a great cover. Uh, Star Wars number five and X number one. Is that X. the real Star Wars? Star Wars. Yes, it's the Brian Wood Star Wars. Uh, from DC Comics, we have Batman number twenty. Yeah. Batman and Red Hood number twenty. Yeah. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Batman Arkham Unhinged, number 14. Uh, the trade paperback of Batman Death by Design. So it's previously only been on hardcover. Sweet. Really great Matt Kidd uh, book. Um, we've got Constantine, number three. Deathstroke, number 20, which is the final issue. Uh, Demon Knights, number 20. Green Lantern Corps, number 20. Now, this is an interesting situation I want to talk about real quick. The Green Lantern, number 20, was supposed to come out before this. Oh, uh, it's the finale to the Wrath of the the First Lantern. This Green Lantern Corps book is the epilogue oh to boy. to Wrath of the. And so it's, don't I'm read so it. glad so don't I've been read waiting it. Till so the it end. says it on the cover, <sighs> but just don't read it before you read. I think next week is the the big 82 page Jeff Johns uh, final issue of Green Lantern. Why not just hold it for a week? I don't know. That's a very good question. DC strikes again. Yeah. Um, there's a third printing of Injustice Gods Among Us number one, which is a book that nobody can find. So damn. Yeah. Uh, Justice League of America number three, Katana number four, Ravagers number twelve, which is the final issue. 
Um, we've got Smallville season eleven number thirteen, Suicide Squad number twenty, yes, which is a new creative team. Les Cott, uh, Wild Children, and Change is the new writer. Yep. Uh, Superboy number twenty, also a new team. Justin Jordan, uh, writer of uh, Luther Strode, uh, and Shadow Man is taking over Superboy duties. Uh, which sounds a little bit yeah, weird. Was, yeah okay, he's Sarah taking, Silverman. Yeah, he's okay. taking those Superboy duties. <laughs> duties. And he's taking control. Of them. <laughs> duties. Uh, you said duties. Uh, team seven, number eight, which is the final issue, and Threshold number five. And Team Seven didn't last long. It did not. Uh, from Dynamite Entertainment, we have Damsels Mermaids number one, Dark <gasps> Shadows number sixteen. Are you excited about Mer- Damsels Mermaids, Stephanie? Probably not, but <laughs> no, I. Gonna be the and yet I am. It's one of her trigger words. Yeah, mermaids. Yeah. <laughs> Squirrel! <laughs> it really is. Um, we've got Dark Shadows, number 16. Garth Ennis' Battlefields, number 6 of 6. Grimm, number 1, which is based on the television show. Uh, Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files. Ghoul Goblin, number 4. Hmm. Uh, Red Sonia Annual, number 4. Vampirella, number 29. Warlord of Mars, number 24. And Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 25. Ooh. Uh, from IDW, we have Fever Ridge, A Tale of MacArthur's Jungle War, number three. Memori- Memorial Imaginary F- Fiends, number three. Uh, we have Rocketeer, Hollywood Horror, number four. Last one. Star Trek, number 20. And Transformers Spot Trail Cutter, number one. Hoist. <laughs> um, from Image Comics, we've got Chin Music, number one. Chin Music. Sorry. Uh, the trade paperback of Comeback. We've got Prophet, number 35, Storm Dogs, number 5 of 6, uh, Walking Dead, number 110, and Witchblade, number 166. From Marvel Comics, we've got Alpha Big Time, number 4, Astonishing X-Men, number 62, Avengers, number 11, Avengers Arena, number 9, Avengers Assemble, number 15, AU. Uh, We've got Avenging Spider-Man, number 20. Uh, We've got Castle, A Calm Before the Storm, number 5. Deadpool, number nine. Uh, Fearless Defenders, number four. Yeah. Iron Man, number 258.2. We've got Secret Avengers, number four. Um, We've got Thor, God of Thunder, number eight. Yes. Um, Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates, number 24. Uncanny Avengers, number eight. Uncanny X-Force, number four. Wolverine, number three. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. From Valiant, we have Archer and Armstrong, number zero, and we've got Harbinger, number zero, and Harbinger, oh no, sorry, no, Harbinger, number 12. Harbinger, number zero is the second print. And from Zenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Dales Presents Robin Hood, Wanted, number one. So that, wow, that was quick. Yeah, it was. It, yeah. I think it actually might be a semi-light week this week. <laughs> oh, I meant the Robin Hood thing. Oh. That was a really quick uh, follow-up to, that series just ended, like maybe oh, well. three months ago. Hmm. Interesting. It was good. Uh, so that's it. That's what's on the shelves uh, right now. Uh, before we go, though, Stephanie, you have some kind of cool news that happened to you. I do. Um, I don't know all the details yet, but I've been asked to be on um, a Man of Steel panel. Wow. Yeah. In Toronto, I've been asked to be a part of, um, I guess, like, Warner's teamed up with, like, Gillette or something. And so... <laughs> I get to go to like a private screening of the movie and then there's like this after party in which there's going to be this panel discussion about Superman. And because Gillette's partially sponsoring it, we're discussing how Superman shaves. 
<laughs> which has actually already been discussed in comics, but yes, let's not has. tell Gillette this because I'm going to pretend to be like super smart yeah. and be so like, we won't um, even we won't even say it on the air. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you know, I'm I'm pretty excited to be a part of it, and hopefully, I can get you guys some words about the Man of Steel movie before it hits theaters. And, oh, I um, thought you were going to send us some free razor blades or something. <laughs> yeah, guys. Some, like, Superman kryptonite blades? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I got Absolutely. nothing. Maybe Shave once a week or something. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, no, it's really cool. Um, They found me because of the podcast. And I'm going to be one of three panelists at this thing. So I am now a Superman expert. <laughs> Let it be known. All right. That so, is happening. So that's happening this weekend? No, it's not this weekend. Um, I just got the news about it this week, actually. Oh, so okay. It won't be happening until um, a few weeks from now, but okay. um, I will keep you posted on the details if it's something that you guys can attend if you're in the Toronto area. And um, yeah. yeah. Gives you plenty of time to study 75 years of Superman. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Wait, what do, I need? what do we mean study? I am an I really hope that you do like one of your patented ramblings at this thing. I would pay to see that. It's being filmed and broadcasted on Gillette's website. Yes. Nice. Yes. A few meows would be good. Yeah. yeah. First of all, meow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, play meow, to your base. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then meow. Yep, exactly. This is exactly how it's going to go. Hey, remember Streaky the Super Cat. It's important. <laughs> All right, cape and everything. I'm, it's just having just gonna go. And Seth Superman was like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Things are happening. Ding. I hope there's alcohol. <laughs> All right, so that's awesome news, um, and that is it uh, for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. Uh, if you guys want to get in touch with us uh, at Talking Comics on Twitter, info at talkingcomicbooks.com is the email address. Facebook.com slash Talking Comics is the Facebook, and of course, talkingcomicbooks.com is the website uh, for reviews, columns. Uh, Adam Shaw just put, this past weekend put up a, a column all about uh, all ages books and, and what kids can read. So. It's really cool. Check that out. We obviously have the favorite covers of the week. We have Talk Comics Presents, uh, the news, all the reviews everybody puts up. Uh, so check that out at the website. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Bob? Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And Stephanie? And I am at Hello Cookie. All right, guys. Um, again, let us know what you thought about our Iron Man 3 review. Uh, keep your listener questions coming in and keep the feedback coming in. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, but that's it. So for Steve, Meow, Bob, Meow. and Stephanie, I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>